You're listening to PodcastJuice.net. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to PodcastJuice.net. This is the Prince Podcast. This is your guy, Michael Dean, and I'm here today with a special guest. We got a special show in store for you. But before I say who that is, let me introduce you to you, the co-host of the show, Mr. Big Sexy and Sack. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. I've got my relaxation on out here in sunny California for once. Not getting rained on, but I'm ready to go. All right. <laughs> Mr. Sean Hill, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Ready to get it on. All right. Now, the special guest that we have today is one of the architects, one of the pioneers of the Minneapolis sound. Uh, without further ado, Mr. Andre Simone, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing good. I'm blessed. I can't complain. So, good. All right. So let's get this started. First thing I want to talk about is the Stone. So your current album that mm-hmm. you have right now. Um, how long has it been since your previous album to this? Oof. My last album I re- released in 1985. So, if math serves me correctly, I think it's like 28, 29 years, something like that. Man, all right. So now you're back. It's 2014. Uh, first of all, let me say that I, I've listened to the album a couple of times. My cut off the album, I believe a song is called It's All Right. Oh, okay. Thinking, yeah, that's, that's the joint right there. I like that song, man. That's, that's a very cool song. Now, tell me a little bit about you. It's like you did something different here where you, uh, was it like a crowdsource type of album um, that you did? Oh, yeah. Well, we did like, yeah. Uh, kind of a crowdfunding kind of thing where we did uh, we raised some money on um, on Pledge Music and got um, fans into it and they we support this thing now was that something that uh, they reached out to you Pledge Music or did you sort of see that that was a platform that you could use uh, how did how did that work you know you know I, we, we we saw it I mean I have a team my wife is is, is helps me put a lot of this stuff together my manager and, and a couple other people that work with me but you know, we, we looked at a bunch of different things. We looked at, um, uh, what is it? There's another one. Um, Kickstarter. Yeah, Kickstarter. Thank you. We looked at Kickstarter because um, there's a couple of friends that tried some stuff on there. But, you know, Pledge Music seemed a lot more, um, you know, um, geared toward, you know, artists and musicians. So I, I thought I'd give that a shot. Okay. How's the yeah. reception of the album been so far since you put it out? You know, it's been really, really good. I mean, I've been really blessed. It's been great. I mean, the reviews have been really, really good. Um, yeah, I mean, so far it's been absolutely positive. I don't know that I've really gotten a bad review yet. Okay. So, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, the you know, one thing that people say sometimes is, you know, people would wish I'd do some, <laughs> you know, some of the old stuff that I used to do back in the day. But, you know, right. we, all, we all have to evolve. And, and the thing about it is, you know, I've always been uh, – a very rock oriented person. You know what I mean? That's just sort of my personality. Um, fits rock and roll a lot more than some of the other stuff. And it doesn't mean that I won't, you know, do, I won't ever do other stuff. Cause I love, I mean, I still, you know, I make all kinds of music, but you know, right now this is what, it, this is what I'm into. So. Okay. I, I will, I'll be straight honest with you. I'm one of them dudes who like, I live and breathe that eighties type funk. And like, yes. so I feel like, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm going to accept whatever artists put down and support it. I just like, at some point, I hope they realize, like you guys realize, like we the fans, if you was to just drop 
<laughs> some older older stuff, we'd probably all die. Like we'd be like, we lose. Well, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I have a whole bunch of that. Kind of, I have a whole bunch of that stuff. I mean, like straight, straight off the the cut. I mean, pure uncut. Oh man, funk, that whole Minneapolis funk that you know. I mean, that you know, I have tons and tons of that. You know, I mean, people would be they'd trip if they actually heard it because it's. You know, it sounds like something straight off of either my record or the Time record. Right. Some, you know, stuff that we did back in the Grand Central days. Because, I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, I that's I used to do that stuff like I, like I would breathe. But I just think that sometimes you got to, you know, you just got to try some different things and For try sure. to break a new ground. But I am definitely going to uh, release some of that stuff. In fact, I'm going to do with, uh, you know, some of the people that pledged. And when I, you know, if I, when I do pledge again, which mm-hmm. I probably will do. Um, I'm going to um, offer some of, some of that stuff for people who, you know, who are really into that. I'm just going to give them a whole, you know, little um, mixtape of just, oh, you know, raw, uncut, unreleased Minneapolis funk. And I'm talking like funk. So, yeah. Well, let so me... that's, that's for, for those who are really into that and for those who are really, you know, fans, I got, I got something for them. Okay. Well, like I said, let me know so I can give you my routing number. And we can get that because <laughs> it's going down. That's that's the easy sell. Oh, no, I got I, I got you. I got you. Okay, now all right, all right. Um, so I want to go back. So I, I, first, I want to say to everybody, go get the stone. I know it's on all the digital platforms. Uh, of course, are you releasing this on uh, vinyl? Or has it been released on vinyl? Oh yeah, yeah. We we, okay. we definitely released it on vinyl. It's it's you can get it on vinyl. You can get it on. Uh, CD, get it, uh, download it. You know, okay. I, I think you might even be able to get it on cassette. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> that'd be hilarious. <laughs> somebody said they had it, they got it on cassette. I mean, I didn't release it on cassette, but wow. somebody said, "Man, I got I got the stone on cassette." I'm like, okay, <laughs> I wasn't gonna argue. I don't know where you got it from. You just said, "Man, but, quit lying." You ain't got no damn cassette. <laughs> quit lying. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I know recently uh, you did some shows in New York. I believe it was last week mm-hmm. you, you were in New York. And one of my partners over there uh, who was cool with Quest and them, my understanding, did you go over to uh, the, the Quest level where he does that school, I think, or something, the class on print or something like that? Yeah. How yeah, that- definitely. We, that was great, man. It was like, you know, it was, it was a trip because I could tell, you know, there was a couple of things. You know, because I, you know, I stopped doing interviews in 1985, uh-huh. back when I did, the, I did a few interviews on, you know, with the release of the record. But everybody kept asking me, you know, sort of, they were trying to create this whole, you know, me against Prince kind of thing. And, right. you know, I just wasn't feeling that because that's just not, it ain't even about that. And, you mm-hmm. know, I respect Prince and I, you know, always did, always have, I'm sure I always will, you know, as an, as a person, as an artist. And, you know, I think a lot of times people, you know, got our whole thing, you know, wrong, you know, because I mean, the reality is, you know, we, we literally, we came up together, you know, we, I think we inspired each other. We lived in the same house. Okay. We used to bounce ideas off of each other. And so when people would say things like, you know, I know Andre wrote this song and I know Andre wrote that song. And, mm. you know, I mean, I think I was very much involved in writing different songs that people were, you know, people were privy. They heard them. They heard songs that I wrote. Mm-hmm. So I can understand where they came from, but I wasn't looking at it like, you know, I ripped Prince off or anything like that, or he ripped me off or whatever, you know, kind of way people try to twist it. Because I think, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, what I, you know, how I learned how to play guitar, 
you know, and even how I learned to play keyboards a little bit in terms of, you know, my, my uh, chord phrasings. But obviously, you know, I mean, I, you know, I came with the bass, the bass thing and bass lines, and, mm-hmm. you know, and then came you know, with my own little guitar, you know, style and, you know, and, and was able to come up with some, you know, some very interesting, very unique ways of bending the scent, you know, um, you know, they gave it a very um, identifiable sound. So, you know, I can understand where people are coming from, but I just think that you, it's, you can't take credit for something when everybody's in there, you know, cooking the same work. dish. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I just never looked at it like that. And I just, you know, I don't like trying to say, you know, I did this, but it's just, I think because I'm so raw, I mean, I just tell it how it is. Okay. You know, people think that, oh, there's, there's no way that could be possible. It's like, well, yeah, there is a way it could be possible. And I just think, I think, you know, when you take, you know, a lot of time off without, you know, doing a whole lot of talking and you kind of let the music do the talking mm-hmm. and people start going, Hey, wait a second, you know, because, you know, obviously Prince has been releasing a lot of records and people right. know what, what he delivers. I mean, they can, they, you can get a real sense of, okay, so that's Prince. And I take a lot of time off and then I come out with the stone and people go, okay, that's Andre, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and then, and I, all the stuff in between the Adam Ant stuff, the Jody Watley stuff, mm-hmm. the, you know, you know, the Tina Turner, the Tom Jones, the Days of Thunder, I mean, on and on, different things that I've done. You know, people start going, oh, and even, you know, I mean, I don't know if you, you know, T.C. Carson, uh, the guy that was a living single. Yeah. Yeah. I did a jazz record with him and Patrice Russian and, and oh, okay. Dubu. And, yeah, I mean, so it's just straight jazz. And you wouldn't even know that it's Minneapolis thing because I, right. I just get into doing it. And I don't, you know, I don't try to give people necessarily a sound of the Minneapolis sound although you know I think Jody's thing was was kind of that vibe because that's that's kind of what was going on at the time but you know you I just try to stretch out and do different things and I think you know with all this time that's passed people can really kind of see the stark difference between you know what I bring to I guess what people are calling the Minneapolis sound and what Prince you know brought to his version of the Minneapolis sound and people can you know maybe respect us you know at this point now for the two individuals mm-hmm. that we are. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying in terms like you came as you, you're a musician and as mm-hmm. a musician, if, if the Minneapolis sound is what's popping right now and that's what I created. Cool. That's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to move into this. Right. This is what I'm doing. But as a musician, right. I do all styles. I do music. That's the style, right? Yeah, it's just, right. yeah, exactly. That's what it's all about. And I, I feel that. And it's interesting to me, like, you know, yourself, you know, another cat that I really admire, uh, Jesse Johnson was like, it seemed like at a certain point from the outside looking in, it's like, man, these cats disappear. Where'd they go? But as you were saying, and as you do the research, it's like, no, these dudes, they've been in the studio. They've been putting in work. Yeah. They did all this stuff behind the scenes and it, it didn't sound like the sound you associated with them. They were just doing what, what needed to be done at that time. But they, the work is extensive. You know, the work ethic yeah. is there. So I, I respect that. And I want to go back. So you brought up some print stuff. I definitely want to get into that. But, I want to go all the way back to, uh, I, I believe, the school you was at. Is it John Hay Elementary? Is that where you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't go. I didn't go to John Hay. Those, oh, okay. those guys, uh, Harry and Prince, and I think um, Charles and some of the guys. I was. I was. I lived. I came from the projects, so I okay. went to Harrison, which is, you know, the other side, literally the other side of the railroad track. Oh, okay. Well, let's you go know, back to then, Harrison. Like, what got yeah. you? into music and i and i what i mean by that is i know a lot of times from myself and different people our parents 
a very strong mm-hmm. influence in the things that we got into or, or, or sort of sparked things for us. And my understanding is that your dad uh, was a musician. Is that correct? Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, a, a few things, actually, that I'd have to say. I mean, because I'm the youngest of six. Okay. You know, and uh, and so, you know, I mean, I had, you know, um, two older brothers and three older sisters. And they all were into music. I mean, they were, you know, they were, I had a very colorful family. You know, they were into a lot of different things. Some of them illegal, some of them, you know, you know, barely legal and all <laughs> kinds sure. of, and, every, and, and everything in between. All right. So and you have all of that. And you have my dad who was, who was definitely a jazz musician. And then my mom was into, you know, I mean, you know, strangely enough, my mom was into that gut bucket blues and 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 that raunchy rudy rudy ray moore you <laughs> okay. know i mean millie jackson she was just she came with all the you know the the the, the borderline straight pornography type. <laughs> it was rough wow, you know wow. i mean but you know but i wasn't supposed to listen to it but she wasn't stopping me so mm-hmm. you know but yeah so i mean i i have all of that you know had a lot to do with you know me as an individual and the kind of uh you know, just the kind of headspace that I came with. And, you know, I mean, coming from the projects, I was a hustle. You know, you had to be, mm-hmm. you know, because, you, you know, you're trying to figure out how you can come up. So, you know, you're trying to do things. And, you know, once I got into music, it's like, okay, well, I'm into music. How can I make some money? Because, you know, I was making money hustling. But, you know, it's like, okay, I'm doing this music. How can I do, how can I make money doing music? Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to do this because I got to make money. Right. So, you know, it, it became a thing where, you know, you know, every time I was like, well, you know, we got to make some money. How are we going to, you know, let's go get a, let's go do a gig. Let's, you know, my mom was very tied into the community. And again, you know, having, you know, being the youngest and having other sisters and brothers that were into a lot of different things. They're like, man, why don't you, I'm having a barbecue. Why don't you come and play at my barbecue party? Get your boys. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, okay. how much you going to pay me? <laughs> <laughs> right. I give it, I'll break y'all off $15. Like, $15? I'm in. You know, it's just, that was just the reality of of the way it it started, you know, and that's just the very beginning. And again, you know, I mean, I also started off, you know, doing that whole, my sister used to do these, um, uh, cause she was a cheerleader Mm -hmm. and, you know, really popular in high school and all that kind of stuff. Um, so she'd have me doing these quarter parties, you know, where I'd be the, (laughs) the, 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 I'd be the, the entertainment. She'd put on Jackie Wilson and I'd do the four way splits and, (laughs) drop to my knees and pop back up and spin, you know, about four or five times. I was like, I thought I could take Michael Jackson because I remember when I saw Jackson five, I was telling everybody, man, because they were talking about how great he was, man. I was like, man, I never seen him do the voice, but I eat him up. And I couldn't wait, you know. And then I realized, you know, I might need to learn how to play an instrument. So, well, take yeah. I mean, and this was even before I, I met Prince and the rest of those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in talent shows and doing that whole thing before all of that. You know, and I was already into the Beatles and blues and and already into rock and roll. Little Richard um, and uh, and just you know Jerry. You know, I was into all of that kind of stuff okay. back then. You know, I mean, I was that's the stuff that I was dancing. To. Right. What you know, what I mean, uh, so, real quick? What got you to pick up an instrument and what instrument was that? The first one. Well, my dad. My dad played bass. And so okay. he had an upright bass at the house all the time. And it, and it, in fact, I eventually wound up breaking it. And, uh, you know, but that's what got me into, into that aspect. And then, you know, obviously in, you know, at Harrison, they had a, they had a music program. So I learned okay. how to play horns. In fact, I learned how to play 
like three different, I played saxophone, saxophone, I played trumpet, and I mm-hmm. played trombone. So when we moved, I already knew how to play bass. I already knew how to play three different horns. And my sister had a little broke down organ, which I could play. And then I had a cousin who finally, you know, um, because I would go over to his house, because, you know, all my, my seems like my cousins, they, they you know, they, they had, you know, their parents were hooked up. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. one of my cousins, his dad was a Cadillac salesman, still is actually. But when I was a little kid, he was a Cadillac salesman. And then, you know, my other cousins, man, they had every kind, they had drums and keyboards and pianos. And we didn't have, we, you know, they didn't live in the projects. We, lived in, right. we didn't have nothing. So I would go over there and I'd literally, I'd beg my cousin for this guitar. Cause he got it for Christmas. And he never played it. So every time I, I'd always wanted, let me, can we go over here his house? And I'd always beg to go over to his house. And, you know, finally I, he broke enough strings <laughs> that he finally said, all right, you can have it. <laughs> you know? and I was like, cool. And that was, that was, that was how I got my first guitar. It was just, a, and it was still broke down. It only, it could only have four strings and they weren't even the four strings <laughs> in succession. They were just four strings on the guitar. So I was, trying to figure it out and nobody really showed me and I had to, you know, learn myself on those four strings and then eventually wow. um you know, I was able to uh my mom actually bought me my first real bass. Okay. Now I I'm just curious, you know, you said your dad played bass. Like was he like sort of like, okay, my son he he picking up the guitar or the bass. I mean, was he sort of like amazed by that or was it just sort of natural for you to get into that or <laughs> in a word no, <laughs> not even, not even, not even a little bit. I mean, you know, I mean, you'd think, and it's nothing against him. It's just, you know, he was, he was, I think he was already, you know, he tried to do music and it didn't maybe work out. Okay. And so maybe he just didn't want to push that thing. Cause it seemed like, you know, you know, I mean, coming from that perspective, mm-hmm. you know, he came from a really small town as it is, you know, maybe that's kind of a, a big dream for somebody mm-hmm. to really, you know, think is possible, but you know, I, you know, I've always been a very enthusiastic dreamer. So I, there was no way I never had any doubt in my mind ever mm-hmm. that, you know, I was one day going to be, going to be doing what I'm, what I'm doing, what I've always been doing. Cause that's all I've ever done in my whole life. I've never, I've never worked a job outside of music. So, I mean, wow. I, I just, you know, that's all I've ever wanted to do and that's all I've ever done. But my dad is a different story. You know, he worked at the post office, he was in the army, you know, okay. He worked at, uh, he was worked at one of the first, you know, sort of computer, like they call it control data, which was one of the first computer companies ever. So, um, you know, so he was just in other stuff and, you know, so me coming along, he finally didn't realize that I was serious until I think he saw us play at one of the outdoor community centers. Okay. And then he saw us and we, we killed it. I mean, but I had like, I mean, they used to call me bass Hendrix because I had all these different. (laughs) gizmos and wah-wahs and fuzzes on my bass. So when I did a solo, you'd have thought it was a guitar solo because I was like, click, 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 click. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Right on. And he was like, you need to, he was like, you need to take all that stuff off. I couldn't even tell what you was playing with all that stuff. <laughs> like, and then that's when I realized, you know what, dude? No, I don't know if I'm listening to you. So what, what you need to do is... Uh, yeah, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. All right, so um, uh, fast forward a little bit. So talk to me, like, you, you, when did, if you first time you meet Prince, you guys are in school mm-hmm. together. Um, and I heard, understand that your father's had some sort of connection, which I don't know if you guys knew at that particular time, but... What was it like when you first met Prince? 
Well, like I said, you know, it was like um, it was seventh grade. You know, I just, you know, sixth grade is, you know, Harrison, you know, it ends and then it goes, it's, uh, what is it? Um, it's, then it goes to junior high school. Mm-hmm. And so you, you had to, you had to leave there. We moved anyway. So we moved into a different neighborhood. So I had to go to a different school and I started seventh grade at uh, Lincoln and, um, you know, they have the whole roll, roll call and you pick your classes and all that kind of stuff. And they do it in the gymnasium. And so I was in the gymnasium and I remember Mr. Lee, who was the gym teacher, he was like, you know, he called me up and called my name and I had to go up there and he gave me my whole, you know, class, you know, scenario. And he said, all right, go stand against the wall. And I remember looking against, looking at the wall and, you know, and it's, it's funny because, you know, sometimes you never know what that, you know, what, when that moment is, it is a defining moment. Mm-hmm. sort of in your life, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was, I guess that was probably mine, you know, maybe unwittingly or whatever. Cause I remember looking down at this lineup of, of, of people, you know, and thinking, God, cause I didn't know any of them, none of them. They were all strangers to me. And it just, it looked like a lot of mugshot lineup of just, <laughs> you, know, you know, cause I was like, damn. And I just looked all along and I looked at all of them and I was going, I didn't, I was like, okay, trying to look at, see if I saw a familiar face or something that jumped out. And I saw this little dude and I thought, you know, I'm going to stand next to him. And so I went and stood next to him and, you know, and we started talking and I said, listen, you know, what's your name? He's a prince. He's like, what's your name? We went back and forth and he said, what are you, what are you into? I said, I'm into music. I said, what are you? He said, I'm into music. And we went back and forth. I said, what do you play? He said, keyboards, you know, guitar. I said, oh, that's funny. I play bass and, you know, horns and blah, 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 blah. And he was like, wow. And so, you know, he was like, you want to come by and jam? And I was like, sure. He said, my dad has like, uh, you know, some equipment. And I was like, yeah. So I think it was, it was either that, that it might've been that particular day after school, we went over to his dad's house and, um, and jammed. And his dad had a little one, it was a little apartment. It wasn't even, I think one bedroom apartment with a nothing in the living room, but a piano and a dope, dope stereo system. One of those, from back in the day with, I think it was all white with two oh. round speakers. It was really oh, cool. Space age looking, right? And, uh, but he had the piano and he had a little, um, a little four string guitar, you know, which, you know, it was, it was interesting for me because the only thing I knew how to play was a, was a four string guitar, but not, you know, in, like I said, the strings were, <laughs> so, you know, so I started playing that and he's like, Oh, okay. And then he started playing the piano mm-hmm. and we started jamming. And he was like, started playing Man from Uncle and Batman and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, this dude can play. So we were just having fun. We were just jamming. We were going, yeah, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I was sitting there and I looked, his dad had all these pictures of his dad, I guess, in different, you know, you know, configurations of bands, I guess, that he was in or whatever. But I looked on the piano and I saw this one guy. I said, God, that looks like my dad. Except <laughs> he's got hair, you know. And, uh, and I was like, and I kept going, but I thought, this is my dad. It looks like my dad. And he said, well, ask, ask my dad when he comes in. Because he said, he'll be coming in pretty soon. So I was like, okay. So his dad came in, and he first he looked at me like, who's this, you know, who's this in my house? <laughs> you know, and, yeah, you know, Prince introduced me, and he was like, you know, dad is Andre, Andre is my dad. I was like, how you doing? Like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, um, <laughs> and I was like, I said, excuse me, but who is this? in this picture and he looked at the picture and he looked at me and he looked at the picture and he looked at me (laughs) 
And he just started laughing. He's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, what? He said, you, you Fred Anderson, son. I was like, yeah. He said, oh, my God. And he looked straight. And he, you know, he had a nickname for him. And I, you know, but he said, you know, you boys used to play together when you was little. Wow. And I was like, what? You know, it turns out, he said, man, me and your dad used to play together, man. He was in my band and blah, 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 blah. It went on and on. And I was like, what? So it was just a complete coincidence. And, uh, yeah, and then I went home and I told my dad, and my dad almost fell out of his chair. <laughs> you know, my dad couldn't believe it. He's like, what? He's like, you know, and I told my mom, and she's like, what are the chances of that? Right. And then, um, and then eventually, you know, we obviously we became, you know, best friends and hung out and put, the, put together the band. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, like I said, I, you know, I came from the other side of the railroad tracks and, you know, I was really into, you know, some real street stuff, you know, stealing cars and, you know, just stealing anything that, you know, that, that I could maybe make some money from. But anyway, I, I found, I found myself in this white on white, brand new spanking new Cadillac. And so I thought maybe, you know, I could take my new friend for a ride. So I pull up at his crib. You know, and I'm honking the horn, and I'm thinking he's going to come running out and, you know, jump on in, and we're going to go for a joy ride. Only problem is his mom comes out. His oh. mom's like, uh, whose car is that? And I'm, I'm like <laughs> literally four, 14, hardly looking over the dashboard. And I'm like, um, got to think of a lie. <laughs> it was a I'm like, oh, it's, my, it's my Uncle Tommy's car. And she's like, your Uncle Tommy? I know your Uncle Tommy. <laughs> that ain't his car. If that was his car, he wouldn't be letting you drive it. Oh, boy. And so that was it. She said, you can't hang around him anymore. Well, they, they called me the Project Negro. I mean, <laughs> a little different than Negro, but you know what I'm saying? Right. So, I mean, nobody wanted their kids hanging around yeah. me because, you know, everything, you know, I mean, every, every you know, there was like, I mean, bikes were disappearing in the neighborhood and, and I was always getting blamed. And so, but anyway, so eventually they really didn't want him hanging around with me and they would make him do all kinds of stuff, you know, and just to not, you know, for him not to be able to hang around. And eventually he just wound up running away and came and lived with us. So, wow. <laughs> so I guess. He was out there thugging, man. <laughs> hey, you know, I mean, I was just trying to, I was just trying to make some money. I feel you. I feel you. It ain't, it ain't never fun being broke. I'll tell you nah, that. It ain't, it ain't. Broke, Amen. Broke is yeah. So, um, I think this is interesting. Like, so you guys become boys, basically. Like, what? Mm -hmm. When does it? Um, <clears throat> you know, and you can stop whenever you you want to talk about. It, but I mean, what was that? What was it going on for him? Where your boy is like, "Yo, man, I need to like come stay with y'all." Was is you said he ran away from home, and was this just his situation oh, yeah. was just crazy? And yeah, it was crazy. I mean, he he had um, you know, he had a stepdad. You know, um, mm -hmm. and I, you know, obviously, he'll you know he'll. You know, you can get into his story, but I, this is, you know, this is just, you know. I know, I'm just saying for my, your side, right. I'm just, it's just my, you know, where I'm at, you know, because I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm living my life and I'm just trying to make, you know, make it from point A to point B. For sure. And so, you know, I wind up meeting this brother and then we become friends and, you know, we want to hang, we want to do a band and, and he had a stepdad was making that, you know, almost virtually impossible, you mm -hmm. know, because he was making him do all kinds of, you know, household you know, dumb stuff, you know? Okay. And um, I, I think that, you know, it just gets to a point where, you know, you start going, okay, this, this don't make any sense. So, but anyway, I mean, you know, so he comes live lives with us. Now, and I mean, we get to make music. How was your, your mom had to be, you know, 
special type of person. I mean, it's like she was just like, yeah, come on in. You know, we got a place. No, absolutely. Well, you know, the thing the thing about it is we, you know, we we were that house anyway. When we 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 became that house where all the kids in the neighborhood okay came came and stayed because, like I said, I mean, I was like that when we lived in the projects. All the kids in the neighborhood used to come to my house when I lived there. Okay, you know, and then you know, obviously when we moved, because I was like, you know, even when I lived in the projects, I was the kid that you know was climbing on the roofs, getting all the balls out of the gutter, and like, you know, you know, footballs. I mean, I had literally bags and bags of balls, baseballs, <laughs> footballs. You know, um, you know, um, dart, you know, darts and everything else, because mm-hmm. you know the the rooms were kind of high, and I would climb up on there and just, you know, I mean, I used to climb through the attics. I was just adventurous. People would actually literally come to my house and bring me money <laughs> to, you know, to say, listen, here, I got a quarter. What do you want to? What can we do today? And I would say, okay, let's go to the creek. And I would take them to the creek, and I they'd, they'd see me, you know, pulling a rope, and they're like, "Oh no, what's he doing now?" And I pull this <laughs> rope out, and by the, and the end of the rope was a bicycle. Right? <laughs> so I literally pull a bike out of the creek, and they're like, "Where'd you get that from?" Oh, uh, you know, I just found that somebody left it sitting there, so wow. you know, I had to let it cool off for a minute. You know, so. And then, you know, I mean, I also, you know, I mean, when we moved into the other neighborhood, you know, I, you know, there used to be, um, there was this, um a golf course, you know, at the, like, uh, it's at the, you know, the end of the, you know, it's like the streets were in alphabetical order. Mm-hmm. And when you got to Xerxes, then there was a golf course. And then the golf course had all these golf carts and they were parked up on top of this hill. I, from one of my other thug friends got the key and stole one of the golf carts, man. And I was <laughs> riding it around the neighborhood and everybody in the neighborhood was all on the back of the golf cart. And, you know, I mean, they were lo- I mean, I just, I was like the Pied Piper in the neighborhood. Yeah, I was acting a fool. I was like, <laughs> yeah, and then I thought, you know, you want to hear something funny. I thought, I thought, man, I'm a, I parked it in my sister's garage. I said, I'm going to paint it. Oh, Nobody's ever going to know that I stole the only missing golf cart in the neighborhood. <laughs> 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 paint it black, drive it around, and nobody's ever going to know. I mean, literally, I think Terry, who was one of the band members, was laughing so hard. It took me a while to understand what he was laughing about. Because he's like, what you going to put? He said, what you going to... He kept. He, he made it even funny. And I was like, yeah, yeah, because I didn't realize he was winding me up. He said, well, you going to put some racing stripes on it, huh? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. He said, what are you going to put some zebra stripes? I was like, yeah, yeah. He said, man, what, are you, what makes you think that they ain't going to know wow. that that's the only one missing? Like, wow, what? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I got back on it. Everybody jumped back on back, and uh, mm-hmm. the cops came, and they, you know, everybody ran about 15 different directions, and <laughs> that was that. But yeah. Wow. All right, man. Um, <clears throat> Grand Central. So yep. this is the band. Now, is this the first band that uh, you guys sort of had together? Was this, this was what, Charles Smith? Uh, mm-hmm. Yourself? Now, was Charles the, the drummer? Yeah, Charles is. Charles is a drummer. Charles is Prince's cousin. Okay. And um, me and Prince said, actually it was me and Prince and this guy named, um, uh, man, um, I think it was Shaw. His last name was Shaw. God, what was his name? I know his brother's name is Lonnie Shaw. Why am I not thinking of his name? But anyway, we, we decided to start a band because he played horns. I played horn. Um, and then we got... Um, you know, I said my sister played keys, and you know, at the time when we first started it, it was a guy named um, Lynn Perry and a guy named Jerome Dunham, and we did our first gig at this church called the People's Church, hmm. 
And um, yeah, that was our first gig, and that was. But we weren't called Grand Central then. Um, you know, um, we were. I think we were. We were trying to find different names, and you know, we won the first battle of the band. And uh, I didn't know because Charles was our. He became our leader because he was the oldest of the band. Okay. But you know, so he became you know sort of the de facto leader. So he was just naming the band anything he wanted. So the first name of our band, which I didn't know anything about until after we won the Battle of the Bands and they announced that the winner is Charles' cousin and friend. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So now I'm just somebody's friend? And so and that ain't the name of our band. You know, we won, which was great. But, you know, I was like, so then I came up with the name Soul Explosion. Okay. So then I thought the name was Soul Explosion, you know, and so we did another Battle of the Bands. And then, you know, we, I thought we entered the band, you know, because I thought we all agreed that it was Soul Explosion. So we won that battle of the bands. When they announced the winner, they said, and the winner is Phoenix. And we were like, oh, man, we lost. And Charles was like, no, we didn't. We won. I was like, what do you mean we won? Yeah, I changed my name to Phoenix. I was like, wow. oh, man. <laughs> so, so then eventually, you know, Prince, who was going to Grand Central or going to Central High School, and he was in the Grand Funk Railroad, came up with the name Grand Central. Okay. And that's how we came up with Grand Central. And I thought, that's cool. And uh, that became the name of our group. And that was the name we used for, you know, for the most, you know, for the, the, the bulk of, you know, the Grand Central heyday. Okay. Now, how did, how did Morris get into this, this group? Morris, man, Morris was, he, you know, it's funny because um, when I graduated from Lincoln and I had to go to North High, because Morris was older than me. So, you know, when I graduated, I think, you know, you go from ninth to 10th grade, you got to go to a different school. So I had to go to North High, and he was already there. And I, again, I didn't know anybody. I was just walking around. I mean, my, my sisters went there. They were older than me, too, but they were already going there. But um, Morris, had, I'd seen him by the side of the stage, and he kept on saying, hey, man, you, sh- you should check me out. I play the drums. And I, you know, he always came to me, you know, cause I, you know, I don't know why, you know, I guess somebody probably told him, you know, Andre's the guy you need to talk to, blah, 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 blah. And so he came, you know, he came up to me and he's like, you know, kept telling me that he was his drummer. And I was like, man, we already got a drummer. He said, yeah, but I'm better than your drummer. And he kept going on. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm, right. <laughs> and so he kept bugging me, kept bugging me. And one day in school, he came up to me and I was walking in the hallway. He said, man, you got to hear me play, man. And I was like, yeah. he said, come to the band room. They got a drum set up in there. I was like, all right, cool. So we went to the band room, and he started playing, and the drums were on top of the uh, the riser, and he started kicking a beat. The only problem is the drums weren't on any kind of a you know a, a, a carpet or anything, so they were slipping and sliding, and eventually they just fell down the stairs. And then I thought, oh no, they're gonna blame me because I'm the project, I'm the project Negro, and everything I do, they always they always point the point finger at me. It's like he's the one, you know. Cause Right. You know, I mean, might have been because maybe a couple of weeks before that there was a car incident and the car got slammed. And anyway, another story. <laughs> but um, everybody said they saw me run out of the car, and I don't know why. But you know, they they had that same Gilligan hat on wow. that I like to wear back then. And I said, "What well, is other people with hats like that?" Anyway, <laughs> but I thought they're going to blame me for this, so I thought, "Don't you know." So he said, well, come to my crib, man. You got to hear me play. And I'm like, I don't go to do this crib, man. <laughs> you know? And he's like, no, 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 it ain't like that. You know, I was like, you know, it's just, you got to come hear me play. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, so I said, you know, cool. So we walked over to his crib and his crib actually wasn't that far from, from school. 
But we went over there, and he had a nice crib, man. And his mom, man, his mom was like Pam Greer. I fell in love with his mom oh, on the spot. <laughs> I mean, that 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 could have sealed the deal right there. <laughs> the mama but, was fine, too. But he started playing, man, and dude played what is hit lick for lick. I mean, mm. Tower Power, I mean, he put it on, and, and he just played that lick for lick, and I'm like, this is our new drummer. This is it. Wow. I said, you got to come down to our, you know, to where we're, we're practicing, man. Bring your drums. And so he brought them down and, and uh, you know, we moved Charles's drums, you know, over, which is, you know, too bad. Cause you know, I mean, you know, me and Charles had our, we had a problem right before that, which is, you know, had to do with that, you know, the last battle of the bands we had, because, you know, we, you know, we obviously, we made, um, we made a little bit of money and then we never saw the money and Charles was the uh. leader. So he was holding the money and, I was like, I want to see the money because I'm, you know, again, I'm the hustler. I'm like, I, you know, <laughs> I need you mine. Make money. You want to know? Yeah, you know, I didn't get broke off no money, so it's like if if we're saving it for some gear, good. I want to see, but I still want to see it to know that it's there. Mm-hmm. And he was never wanting to show it to nobody, and we kept asking, and he said, I, he had it, and then but then he had new pants, and then he had new <laughs> albums and posters, and, you know, and all this other kind of stuff, and I'm like. Well, now I really want to see it, <laughs> you know, and he never showed it. So I was like, so he, wow. you know, we got into a big argument and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. And I think we literally got into a fight. And Man. so, you know, and it was all over that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, we got a new drummer now. So, and then, you know, I had Prince and those guys come check him out mm-hmm. and everybody, you know, was like, yeah, this is the dude. So that, and plus he had a bass, he had a brand new um, Fender Telecaster, white Telecaster bass. This thing was beautiful. So, on top of a new drummer, I also got a new bass. So oh, you know, that's how you did that. I mean, you know. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's how Morris became part of um, part of Grand Central. Okay, now it's my understanding that uh, it it morphed into was it called Champagne? Is that? Yeah. Well, um, you know, we started doing. Um, you know, we won. We kept winning Battle of the Bands, and what what they would do is we would get um, we would get some of them would pay us some money. Some of them would give us, you know, some time at recording studios. And we, we got some time at a recording studio. I actually had a few different, one was sound 80 and one was, um, this moon sound recording mm-hmm. studio. Mm-hmm. And the guy in there, his name was Chris moon. And, uh, you know, he was like, you know, you guys are really good. And he came, he, he approached me and said, listen, you know, I got some stuff. If you're interested, you know, you can come to the studio and write some songs with me and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, man, I'm in a band, we're in a band and, you know, we talked to our manager, you know, and uh, I think he was trying to get around the manager thing, you know? And uh, he finally, I think he talked to Prince and Prince probably was like, yeah, I'll do it. And so hmm. Prince kind of broke away and started doing some stuff separate and apart from the band. I obviously knew it because, you know, he lived with us. So, you know, how did you feel about that? Him up. How, I mean, how was it, was it, how did you guys feel about that? Like, well, you know, me personally, you know, again, I'm a hustler. So I'm like, do whatever you, I've, I've always had the attitude, you know, because that's what I get from my brothers, man. Hey, you got to make some money. Do what you got to do to make okay. some money. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, if you if he's going to pay you, you go do it. For sure. You know, and, uh, you know, and I'm not mad at you. I wasn't mad at him. It wasn't like, because we were still tight, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, so I knew what was going on, but everybody else didn't necessarily know what was going on. Okay. And then he started doing demos and then he got a thing and, um, they were trying to help him get some kind of a publishing thing. So, you know, it became, it, it was, it did start to get a little bit weird because, you know, then, you know, we got into, it got really, you know, 
crazy because Morris's mom became our manager. Okay. So it got really crazy with, with that because we would have these, these meetings, you know, and, um, you know, and, you know, Prince would start getting, you know, asking a lot of questions about, cause we signed this really interesting sort of, um, um, uh, corporation contract because hmm. we never made any money, you know? And so, and we never, you know, if you quit, you only got, I think two or $300 and you didn't get any of your equipment. And wow. so it just was a real weird kind of deal, something you know, um, style or something. Yeah. You know, and so he finally just said, you know what, I'm going to go with these guys over here. And I'm like, cool. So, so when he quit, we changed the name because, you know, since he came up with the name Grand Central, it didn't seem like it was right to keep calling ourselves Grand Central. Mm -hmm. So we said, we'll change our name. And I think, um, you know, I think there's something about Cham Champaign, Illinois or something like that. Cause I think, I don't know if that's where Morris or his mom and those guys came from or something like that. Oh, okay. But um, that became kind of the name, or I don't know if it's named after the champagne in some different kind of way. I mean, because at that point I was pretty much, you know, um, you know, I wasn't all the way into it because me and Prince were really tight. So I was in it and we found another guitar player, but it just wasn't the same because, you know, the guitar player wasn't nothing like Prince. And so, yeah, I mean, I remember we did the first gig after that, it was weird because we had to go all the way up to Duluth, you know, and uh, and it's funny. It was the first time I ever drank beer because I just didn't, you know, I was I was never a drinker and all that. I kind of didn't get involved in all that stuff. But I remember on the way, you know, because the other guys oh, totally got it. They were drinking beer and all that other kind of stuff, and I just wasn't into it. But the first time, in fact, me and Prince really, we were, we were kind of like, at the time, not into all that. And they were into drinking, and we were kind of the two that were kind of like, wow, man, we're going to be serious. And they were like, and so I just thought, you know what? I didn't have my sidekick. So I was like, let me give it a shot. <laughs> so, and they were drinking, they would drink a whole six pack. And I'm like, how do you guys drink a whole six pack? I'm like, I can't even get, you know, you know, through one can, you know, of, of this stuff that in, in my opinion, at that time, I thought tastes like what I would imagine pee tastes like. So I'm like, I can't, this stuff is like, this ain't, I didn't feel sophisticated. So I thought, no, I mean, obviously now it's a little different. I've, I've learned that, you right. know, beer is an acquired taste and I have acquired what of a taste <laughs> okay. for the brew. But hey, you know, um, but yeah, so we went up there and, and, and that game was disastrous. So mm. that was pretty much it for me. Um, I don't even know if I did too many more gigs after that, but okay. that's how we became Champagne. champagne. All right. So, and you say, you know, we're not going to retread a lot of this history that's out there, but, you know, Prince does his thing. He gets to the point where he gets his, his first deal and uh, start to work on that first record. Now, uh, does he go to, uh, I think, the Bay Area to record? And you go with him. Is that right? Like you guys go out there together? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the first thing was that, you know, he got the deal and, um, you know, he, it's funny. I remember we were on the bus. We were riding the bus right down, uh, I think it was Lindale or Hennepin, one of those. But, um, and he was like, man, look, we should do this thing together. You know, do like a Brothers Johnson kind of thing. Okay. You know, because we were, you know, you know, I can understand where he was coming from. But, you know, I'm like, dude, they signed you. Mm. And, you know, and this is, again, to go to, you know, people trying to pit us one against the other. Man, I'm like, if you can make, this is your thing. You know, you got... Mm -hmm. You know, they signed you, and the stuff that he was writing at the time was really, really on point. I mean, he was—he had really honed in on this thing. We had a, um, you know, we had a way of recording, and I think he was the first one to do it. 
where we would go um, record from cassette to cassette and Uh, we'd work out our ideas, you know, and, you know, we were living at my mom's house. He'd write a song and because he was down in the, he was, he lived in the basement. His room was in the basement. We started off trying to stay in the same room and that didn't work out. So my mom moved into the basement and moved me to the attic and then moved my sisters and gave them the room that we had. And so, you know, but he'd play something, he'd come up there and play it to me and then I'd come down, play him a song and we'd go back and forth and, you know, and, and we'd, you know, do this cassette to cassette thing. And it was hissy. I mean, I still have some of those cassettes, you know, but it would be, you know, it would be these songs that, you know, that's how you honed in on doing the, um, you know, playing all the different instruments kind right, of thing, right. you okay. know, cause you know, we had a drum set. I mean, my sister had a drum set. Pieces of my cousin's drum set was down there. So, you know, she had a, you know, um, Prince still had his dad's Farfisa. So, you know, it was just, it was a great, it was really a great time. And it was great for creativity because my brother, you know, one of my brothers was a hustler that he would, he would have every kind of, he would get every kind of book because he was, you know, kind of a booster. So he would go, you know, anything that you'd say you were into, if you said, I'm into tantric sex. He'd come back with about 10 books, you know, about how to circular breathe. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was really, it was crazy, man. but it was really cool because and if we said we wanted to get into music, he'd come back with 10 books about how to be effective and how to, huh. you know, how to save your money and how to all the stuff that we probably should have listened to, but we didn't. And he would sit there and he'd read them to us and tell them, tell us how we needed to do it. And he actually wow. was, um, was Prince's first manager. So, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, a lot of stuff that people just really don't know. That's no one of the idea. things you asked me about, um, you know, Questlove's class. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, I think he was probably tripping because it's like, you know, a lot of stuff that people think they knew or thought they knew was right. like, that ain't quite right. Right, but, right. You know, but, you know, at, you know, but, you know, the thing is, you know, it's, it's my life. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm living my life and just, you know, all the different people that come into my life come into my life and they become part of my story. Right. You know, and uh, it's not like I'm trying to tell stories or anything like that, but we had a lot of fun. Yeah. No, it's it's your journey, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you know, and growing up in that time period was, I mean, I can't even tell you, man, it was, it was a blast. I mean, really, I mean, I've toured the world and I've done all kinds of stuff and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the funnest times that we had, I mean, the coolest you know, times when we were Grand Central mm-hmm. playing a lot of those little local, there was so many things that used to happen, so many really hilarious things that, <laughs> you know, I mean, I could I could bore you guys with story after story. <clears throat> now, you ain't boring. Because some of that stuff, some of that stuff was just, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess when you, you know, when things turn out the way that they turn out, it becomes very interesting, you know, and then you start to be able to sort of piece these things together. Mm-hmm. And you start to understand, you know, how this, this stuff, you know, actually could could come about. Let me ask you this. Uh, well, one thing I wanted to say, too, I think what's great about this, and just at the time that we're at now, because, you know, <clears throat> a lot of the stuff that you cast did, for whatever reasons, a lot of it seems to be shrouded in secrecy or just never had the opportunity to really, like, you know, put put it out there. And it's always, the stories always be written by somebody who wasn't there. So it's good to right, be able exactly. to, yeah, it's good to hear straight from your mouth, like, yo, this is how it really went down. Because again, a lot of us don't know and just never was able to get the information. So that's why I think it's great now that, yeah, let my man tell his story. Let's hear what really was popping. You know, what was the relationships like? You know, I gather just looking at it now and I'm a little older, so I can sort of 
look at things a little differently is that, you know what, them, them cats <clears throat> was basically like brothers. And it was like mm-hmm. one person got put on and it was like, yo, of course, let's go. You with you a part of this? Let's go do this thing. You know, it's just a mm-hmm. trip that the stuff that you guys did ends up becoming like this worldwide, you know what I'm saying, thing. And it just goes so big. Like I was gonna, I was wondering earlier, I said, did you ever imagine when y'all was playing the tapes, the cassette tapes back and forth, you ever thought that all of that would be somebody teaching a class on that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, well, you know, I, I never, you know, it's funny. I never thought that. <laughs> but, I, you know, I will say that I never had a doubt ever in my mind that we were going to be successful. Okay. You know, I mean, and it's, and it's funny because I remember, I remember one time, I think we were coming back from one of the, the gigs we did. You know, because oddly enough, some of the times we'd play a gig <laughs> when we would leave, you know, I mean, eventually, you know, when you get successful, you have roadies, you get a ride. and you Right. Know. But we would come from gigs and we'd have to carry our equipment home. <laughs> wow. We'd have to literally walk down the street <laughs> carrying drums with no cases and guitars over your back and, you know, walk blocks. And right, right. I remember we were walking home from, from one of the gigs and I remember it was the first time I ever saw a shooting star. Hmm. And, and I remember, you know, you know, not long before I saw that somebody saying, Hey, if you wish on a shooting star, you know, your wish will come true. And I remember wishing, seeing that shooting star saying, you know what? I want our band to be successful, Hmm. you know? And for some reason I, that was always the, that was it. When I saw that shooting star, I was like, man, we're going to make it. You know, I just saw a shooting star. Those guys always thought I was crazy anyway, because I was like, I was that excitable, man, we're going to do this, man. Mate, wait till we get big. Wait till we get, <laughs> I was always that, I was always that kid, you know, man, when we get big, I'm going to have a big car. And I'm a, I was always talking a bunch of trash and, you know, <laughs> and uh, right, that was, though. that was me. Right, yeah. Right. You know, what, um, this is one thing I always wondered too. What, and this is something I'm going to jump around a little bit here, but <clears throat> I know you weren't in purple rain, but me, I was young at the time when I saw Purple Rain, and of course, you know, I was amazed by the stuff, the music, and all that. But the core thing that I gathered from that, that struck me, was it seemed like there was this strong work ethic because they made a point to show like the rehearsing and that sort of stuff, and then going back, you know, doing my studies of what you guys are doing. I know that there was a lot of rehearsing and practice, but I want to know what instilled that work ethic in you guys to do that. So like in the sense that everything that you guys did was on such a high level. Like what, where did you guys Mm -hmm. get that from? Well, you know, I'd have to say a couple of things. One thing, you know, is, is Prince's dad Mm -hmm. was a very, very big influence. You know, I can't say what kind of an influence he was on Prince. I can just assume that he was a big influence on Prince, but he was a huge influence on me because he would literally talk to us and, and preach, literally preach to us. And, and at the same time, playing the piano, he was like the most incredible. I mean, I'm talking about incredible. I mean, to this day, I think he's one of the most amazing piano players I've ever seen in my life. Really? I mean, this guy had so much power in his hands that, you know, I mean, that he, he was able to transfer from, from his hands to those keys. I've never seen anything like that to this day. It, it gives me chills when I even think about how unbelievable he was, but he used to just play and he would preach to us. And, you know, I mean, we got to be, I got to be pretty close with his dad because even, you know, 
and me and Prince were going through our thing after I left and was doing my thing and he was doing his thing. His dad still lived in the neighborhood, so I would always go see his dad, and his dad would be, you know, gardening and hanging out. And so I just go and I'd still get, you know, get that, um, get that little, you know, that blast of, you know, just right. inspiration. Right, right. Because he was very, he was very inspirational and very influential. But you know, the work, a lot of the work ethic, you know, was instilled by some of the things that he said. You know, he's like, if you want to be the best, you got to play, you got to practice. Mm. You know, and you know. And when other guys are, are, you know, running around and out on the streets and blah, 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 and, you know, getting these little girls pregnant and blah, 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 you know, you guys need to be practicing. Mm. And I remembered all that stuff. And, 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 you know, I really took all that stuff to heart, you know. And, um, and so, I mean, literally, I mean, holidays would come by. I would make it a point, and I still do that to, not, to this day. I mean, holidays would come by and – you know, I would make it a point to practice on Christmas, to play on per- Christmas. And plus, I mean, we were always doing gigs anyway. And that's the other thing that you know, had a lot to do with the work ethic is mm-hmm. because we would play every, I don't remember, you know, almost every single year for years, we would play every Christmas. We would play every New Year's gig, New Year's Eve gig, you know, I mean, every holiday, every Easter gig, you know, so there was never, um, you know, that's where the work ethic came from. So when other people were out there, you know, celebrating New Year's Eve and all that kind of stuff, we were actually playing New Year's Eve. Okay. So, I mean, I think all of that had a lot to do with the work ethic. Wow. Yeah. That's something I always admired about your whole scene. Just from the outside looking in from a lot of you dudes, man, it's like everybody was putting in work. Everyone seemed like they was just uh, really into their craft, which, you know, yeah, coming from like so for me like i come from you know sort of uh the hip-hop world and what you guys Mm -hmm. was doing i was a little young but i wanted to do that but around me was hip-hop and so it was more so you know you learn how to dj or or rap and that sort of thing but i i I was like you know what i want to take the aesthetic of what these cats is doing and like we need to be practicing every day we need to be working you know what i'm saying like that's what something i always admired um, well, I think if, yeah. if you look at it like, you know, like what, because everything is related, whether it's hip hop, whether it's music instrument, you know, playing in, an instrument. It's like if you if you look at it like this, if you, if you think about the world or even your city or whatever, the country, you know, there's a, a thousand people trying to do the same thing you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So what's going to make you any different than them? What's going to how are you going to stand stand? you know, um, stand out amongst all of these people, you know, everybody thinks they look good, you know? (laughs) And so, you know, I mean, you ain't looking any different than anybody else, you know? So what's going to make you, what's going to distinguish you from all the other people doing this? And, you know, to my way of thinking, the only thing that's going to make me any better than anybody else is if I play harder and I'm more convicted and I practice all the time. So I literally, you know, I mean, I'd have my little girlfriends next to me, you know, and I'd be sitting in front of the TV watching Gilligan's Island with my guitar, practicing, mm. you know. And when I was going to see one of my girlfriends, you know, I'd be on my bike and people would see me in the neighborhood. I'd have my guitar on, riding my bike, no hands, playing on my way to see, you know, whatever. You know, but that was it. I mean, always. I'm always playing, always practicing, okay. always trying to get better. And it's like, because I don't like making mistakes. Mm. I don't like to mess up. You know, I'm, if I'm on stage and I'm playing, I don't ever like to make mistakes. You know, so it's like, I don't want anybody saying, you know, and I was cocky. I was like, there's nobody. And that's the other thing is, 
you know, being able to say that you're better than somebody else and then backing right. it up. Because I would go up, I literally would go on stage when other bands were there and I'd say, you ain't shit. <laughs> they said, what? <laughs> That's right. You ain't shit. Then I'll stomp a hole in your, you know, give me that guitar. Come on, let us play. Yeah. You know, and people would be like, you hear him? Oh, come on. Then they'd say, come on up here. Let me see what you got. And then and we'd go up there and, and then, it, then it was over. Because, cause, yeah, because then we'd go up there and we'd get the gig. And so, I mean, it's, that's just how it, how, that's how it was. That's how I was. That's how it was. That's how we got to be, you know, playing a lot of the gigs that we got to play. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, and there was a, a couple of bands that I said that to where we didn't go up there. And we did, you know, because, you know, like um, there was a, a group called The Family, the original family. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was um, Joe Lewis and, you know, and Randy Barber and Sonny Thompson and those guys, man, they were like Pierre. Oh, man. They had a horn section. Them brothers was like, oh, I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even talk stuff to them. In fact, I used to just watch them, especially Joe, because Joe was the, the coldest drummer ever. He had this, first of all, he had the, the coolest fro <laughs> on the north side. You know, he had the coolest fro. And so when he played, he just looked like, I mean, he just looked like the coolest brother on the planet i was like i mean i just was like i want to be like him right you know right. And i didn't play the drums at the time you know i was like but he had this rock man just the way he would play and i just wanted to play i wanted to be in that band you know and I that's heard... why you know when, no go ahead when, uh, when morris got because morris had morris had a throw kind of like that i was like you know what you kind of got a throw <laughs> like joe lewis <laughs> i heard sonny was but raw too though oh man are you kidding sonny was like he was like Jimi hendrix you know, um, he played bass and guitar, okay. and uh, he'd flip the bass around, and that that brother was like un those guys. And then Michael Lewis, you know, Joe's brother. I mean, all of those Randy Barber, those guys were just they were on another level, and they they were kind of the bar. They were my bar. Okay. Because I thought, you know what, we ain't no good until we're better than them. Mm -hmm. So you know, there was a lot of bands like that that just were on another level, and it was cool to be to be able to go see them play. You know, because, you know, I mean, you couldn't go see the Ohio players play. You couldn't go see Earth when fight. Well, you could, but you couldn't go see them play every week. You know, I could go down to the way, the community center, mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, wiggle my way some kind of way in. And, you know, because back then, you know, you, you, you know, it was like this. It was, you know, it, it was really a cool, cool, you know, um, time to be growing up, you know, especially in my neighborhood. I mean, there was a lot of craziness, and I was involved in a lot of craziness on, a, on another street level kind of thing. But... On the music level, and the combination was really maybe that's what it was because you know I used to go to house parties and bootlegs. And, oh, okay. I mean, used to I mean so, you know, there's a lot of things that really were kind of intertwined in the music thing, and um, but it just made for a really really, you know, uh, great great uh, you know, little childhood. What, what's uh, so now? <clears throat> and you, you guys are in Minneapolis, uh, and you. You talk about the projects, and you know, a joke about Minneapolis, like how I live in Seattle. So it's joke. Are there black black people in Seattle? Like, what's what was sort of the racial mix where you live? Like you said, you were in the hood, basically. Like, what where where what well, area was this? Yeah, the projects is North Minneapolis. Okay, it's like you know, it's, they call it bedrock, but you know, it was, it was like just, you know, housing projects where they're all connected and, you know, everybody that's poor lived in the project. Mm. And so the, the racial mix up, mix, uh, mix was everything, you know, I mean, cause, and one of the cool things about living in the projects is 
you know, nobody could try to pull that I'm better than you thing. Because if, you know, because, I mean, you know, obviously, I don't know if you guys did cat fights, but, you know, cat fights was a big deal back then. Cat fights was like just, you know, you know, um, I guess they call it playing the mama card. Oh, uh, ranking. We call it ranking. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Ranking. Okay, yeah. There you go. <laughs> we call it cat fights. Okay. You know, and so we, we would basically have, you know, so it's like any anybody would try to talk stuff and act like they was, like, better than anybody else. Well, if you're so better than everybody, why are you living in a project? Right, right, right. So, you know. So you really couldn't pull that. But, you know, when I think about it now, you know, because obviously, um, you know, I'm older and I think I'm a lot more politically minded, you know, because I realize that, you know, politics are in so many things, you know, that happen and that exist now that, you know, it's 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 you'd be naive to not think that somehow politics weren't involved in the project. And so Mm -hmm. and if you think about it, and at that period of time, because it was like the 60s, the early 60s, we were, you know, I mean, Martin Luther King, we were living in the projects when Martin Luther King got shot. So, you know, I mean, wow. so we were we were dealing with, um, you know, um, just kind of getting over the civil rights thing. You know, so mm-hmm. it was a very interesting time. And I think that the project was a um, was a, a, a training ground to see what it was like. You know, I think it was a government experiment to see what it was like for different cultures to actually coexist. Because we had Indians, we had Hispanics, we had um, blacks, we had whites. You know, they had, um, you know, interracial couples. Mm -hmm. They had um, the kids that were adopted. Um, They had every kind of, you know, configuration you could think of lived in the projects. You know, and so, you know, and, and it was interesting because, and then they had, you know, they had um, these different programs where they would bring, you know, um, guys would come down and they would try to give you or sell you or get you to sign up for these different programs. One thing was called the Raleigh Man, who was this guy who came with all this weird, strange food, you know, that was, that was really cheap. It was like strange syrup and strange cough medicine and all this weird stuff that, you know, I mean, now that I'm older, I'm like, you know, it's like, this is some straight experimental stuff. Right. Wow. You know, cause I mean, literally we're coming from, we're coming from, you know, from straight, you know, just barely out of slavery, you know, in the civil rights and the whole civil rights struggle, you know? And so that's an interesting time. And then, you know, obviously you're, you're getting past all of that and mm-hmm. getting to the fact, you know, to where, you know, actually we, we, you know, everybody fought and, and got the, the right to vote and equal and, you know, and everything broke free. And then it was like, oh, we did it. We made it. We're free now. And that's when, you know, everybody's wearing dashikis. Everybody had a pro. Right, right. All the music was representing freedom. And, you know, people like Curtis Mayfield were, were making you feel proud. And people like, um, you know, James Brown were making, were saying, you know, hey, yeah, I'm black and I'm proud. Mm-hmm. You know, and then. You know, Curtis Mayfield was talking about beautiful black women and all kinds of other stuff. And so you had, you know, you started realizing that Bob Marley was on the other side of the world talking about his thing. And you had, you know, um, some of the other South African, you know, apartheid things going on. It was just so much stuff happening at that time. And it was all sort of trickling down, you know, to the, to, to the projects, you know, and it made, it made me, you know, as a, as a, a young artist and, you know, a wannabe young artist, you know, taking it all in. Cause I remember, you know, everybody thought I was crazy when I thought that the Beatles song 
was a civil rights song. And they thought, man, that ain't no, I remember arguing with my sister, man, you know, because <laughs> I was saying Strawberry Fields, is a, that's a civil rights song. And she said, it is not. Strawberry Fields Forever. I said, yeah, Strawberry Fields Forever. Nothing to get hung about. Nobody's in my tree. Nobody else must be high or low. I was like, you know, all that stuff is like, you know, it's metaphors for, you know, you know, people trying to say, look, just live together. It's, everything could be beautiful. You don't have to, there's nothing to get hung over. There's nothing, you shouldn't be hanging people over this kind of stuff. But, you know, we would go round and round, and she thought I was crazy, and I was like, you know. But I would, that would be a question that I, you know, if John Lennon was still around, I'd love to ask. Like, was that song, you know, because he, he could answer that right, question because right. he wrote it. Wow. Um, so I want to jump ahead to, because it's an important question I want to ask. So the, the first Prince album's done. It comes out. I know you guys. You, you did a couple of shows, the early performances. But I want to know when's the point, and I don't know if this may have went into Dirty Mind. But was there a certain point where you, you and Prince looked at each other and was like, based off of everything you just came from where you grew up, you just like, you know what, my man, we made it. Like we we paid. When, what did it feel like when y'all first you got a nice check or something where you just like, we actually doing this? Like we. And people know who he is. And like when you come off the stage, you know, I know you said you was a hustler. So I know like when you did them shows and them females is coming, like, I know you was, was there a point you was like, okay, damn, I, we did, we doing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to know too, was. real quick, who, who was the pimp of the group? Like who was the real, who had game about themselves in the group? <laughs> who was the real? Who had what? Who had more game about themselves? <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, I was a hustler, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, you know, it, it's it, you know, it was it was really, I mean, because if you think about the makeup of you know the group and Prince's group, you know, it was it was, I I was rooming with Dez, okay, so, and and we 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 used to clash because, you know, I was trying to you know, and and look, here's the thing, <laughs> the thing is, you know, we're on tour and we're opening for Rick James. Yes. Originally, we were supposed to open for um. Uh, for cooling the gang. Oh, okay. But, you know, we were at this, it's funny because that's when we met Sheila E because we were at the Circle Star Theater. And, um, and I remember we were opening for cooling the gang and I mean, we were completely killing it. I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't a big place, but I remember we, you know, it was the whole bubble yum thing because Prince was in the bubble yum and, you know, girls were liking that whole thing. And, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, but I remember, you know, cooling the gang, you know, the Circle Star Theater is situated so that one band is on one side and the other band is on the other side. And so the, the stage actually spins around in a circle. Um, so we, when we ended the set, I remember I think Desi either kicked his amp or something, but it fell on top of Cool and the Gang's keyboard setup and crushed it or something uh. like that. You know, and they were mad about that. That was the first thing. But then it <laughs> got even worse because then when they were on performing, we were supposed to, I guess they wanted us to stay, you know, out of sight. But we came out because we were like, yeah, man, this girl's out here. We're in San Francisco, man. <laughs> so we went out into the crowd and they started going crazy. They started coming, you know, wanting us to sign stuff. And so they're trying to play, you know, whatever the song was at the time. And we're out there, you know, and girls are asking us. And before you know it, there's this commotion going on and they're trying to perform it. You know, all these girls are over there crowding around us and, you know. And they're going, and so they kicked us off the tour. 
So, um, and that was, we only did one show. So, wow. <laughs> I remember one of the cool, one of the cool things I remember is I remember somebody introducing us to Sheila E. I remember thinking, you know, obviously at the time she, and she still is, she was Bad. fine. Yeah. I was like, woo. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but so, and then we wound up going on tour with Rick James and that was an unbelievable tour. And that's when I realized, you know, we had, we, we, we had made it because, you know, I remember, um, you know, the first, you know, we were doing these big giant arenas. They were like 10,000 feet, okay. you know, arenas, which was big. You know, that was the mm-hmm. biggest things, the biggest shows we were doing at the time. And, and I remember, um, you know, people would hate us. I mean, the first three songs, people were like booing and calling us all kind of names and, you know, get out of here. What do you, what kind of clothes are you wearing? And I had on clear pants. And, you know, oh, I think. Yeah, I want to sidebar that whole, one for later. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, I mean, so, you know, we were getting a whole lot of ridicule for about the first three songs, and then after about the fourth song, people were like going, wait a second, these dudes is good. <laughs> and so after that, it was like, you know, by by about the fourth or fifth song, they, those boos turned into complete cheers. Hmm. And then when I realized we made it, I think we were in Denver, and uh, this is when I realized, okay, I think I think we actually are, are you know, we're actually doing something because we, we, you know, we had this really janky dressing room that was in a, a little motor. It was in a little motor home. that wasn't even in the venue. Like Rick James and their whole hookup was in the venue and they had a nice dressing room and ours was off on some, in some little mobile home off to the side somewhere. But I remember after we went off and we went, you know, we, we finished playing, we went to our dressing room. And all of a sudden, I, we heard all this noise around our dressing room. We looked out the window, and it was surrounded with people, with girls and people. And we're hmm. like, oh, shit. How are we going to get out of here? And before we knew it, the whole thing was being pushed and shoved, and it was rocking. Wow. And it was like it was completely surrounded. We couldn't get out. And so they were like, we got to get you guys out of here. And I remember they, 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 they tried to figure out how to get us out of there and got us into a limousine. But, I mean, the crowd had literally, they just came and just, you know, I mean, I don't, because we, we were, you know, we were before Rick James. So I don't know where, who was still in the arena. I just know that, <laughs> you know, it seemed like the whole arena had come out, wow. you know, and just surrounded our dressing room. And so they got us into a limousine and we started driving around. I remember somebody got hit by the limousine because that became a problem later, but. You know, we were trying to get away from the pe- these people. We finally drove off and we got away from the arena. And literally, it was like four cars were following us. Damn. And so we went and we were trying to lose these cars. And I remember one of them was a Volkswagen. And, you know, I remember our, 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 our road manager said, let me get, I'm, I'm going to get out. I'll, I'll, I'm going to get them to, we're, we're going to lose them. Well, no, first we tried to stop at some hotel and act like this was the hotel we were in. <laughs> And so we went, went into the hotel, and they said, just walk to the other end of the hotel and go out the other door, and we'll meet you at the other side. And so a couple of us walked out and, and tried to see if we could, you know, fool them. And we might have lost a car, but <laughs> we still had about three cars following us. And so finally the road manager got out, and he jumped on this, this Volkswagen and tried to do that whole, you leave us, you let us, and stop following us. Man, they took off with him hanging outside the window. <laughs> and we were like, oh, no. And they started flying, and then the next thing I know, he got flung, Whoa. and I was like, oh. yeah, he got jacked up. So we had to go collect him and Damn. put him in the car and, you know, take him to, you know, emergency. And, but wow. that's when I realized we, you know, this is it. We're, this is what big time is all about, I guess. 
Wow. Now, we had Dez on the show a while ago. What what that Rick James tour? I mean, was there we hear of there like some tensions and different things, but from your side of it, did you see any of that? You know, whether it was from Rick or his camp, or was there any kind of thing going yeah. back and forth? Yeah, because you know they thought again. They thought I mean, and they blamed me because I every everybody always blamed me for trouble, right? You know, because um, they said that I had an attitude. Um, you know, because they said that, you know, when I came off stage, I had some cocky attitude, and I did, because I was. You know, I mean, I'm not, you know, I mean, it is what it is. I never made, if they would have asked me if I was cocky, I'd have said, yeah, I'm cocky. If they would have came to me and said, well, what are you cocky about? I would have gave them a long list and a description. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it was what it was. I mean, I was like, when I went on stage, I went on stage to try to rip anybody else's head off. It's like, I don't want anybody being able to come on stage and think that they're going to outdo what we did. Because that's the whole game, right? Right, right. You know, you don't want to go on there. It's not, you know, this is like, you know, if you're in the big time, you're trying to like, you're trying to make a name for yourself. Mm-hmm. So they said I used to come off stage and I wouldn't speak and, you know, and I was looked all mean and, and they were right. <laughs> I did. I didn't want to speak. I was sweating and coming off. We just got through throwing now, man, doing, you know, diving and jumping and popping back up and doing all that thing and waving, you know, I had, all kinds of, you know, um, scarves on my guitar. So I was waving them around and doing my whole thing and, you know, jumping up backwards on the drum riser and just having fun, spinning around and, you know, just just doing whatever. I mean, it was just fun. Right. And it's rock and roll, you know? I mean, it's what, it, it's what it's all about. And so you don't come off stage, hi, hi, guys, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, you, you guys go on and not try to rip us a new one. <laughs> no, hell no, man. I'm like, now try to follow that shit up. You know, and so they, they didn't like that. So that was tension. So, um, and then one of the main problems was that, you know, we did, we, we played Rick's, you know, his, um, his hometown, mm-hmm. uh, Buffalo, New York. And then I remember a drawing, you know, um, it was like a skit on this. There used to be a, t- a TV show. It's kind of like Saturday night live, but it was called Friday. And they yeah. used to do, they did this. Remember that? Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They did a skit. They did a skit called some sort of um, Howdy Doody skit or something like that. And I remember I thought it was hilarious because they had Mr. Bill and all that other kind of stuff. So I, I drew a big sketch of Howdy Doody on the chalkboard. You know, it was just, you know, with the freckles and the funny hair and looked like George Bush. So, you know, but I drew it and, you know, that was it, right? And then, you know, we left and we went to go out and mingle and all that. But I guess Rick, you know, because it was his hometown, his mom was there and I think he had a mayor that was going to come backstage and they were going to have this big party because it was a hometown celebration. So they asked us, we were done in our dressing room. We were like, yeah. And so they went and took over the dressing room. But what I didn't know is that one of the roadies had went back and on my sketch, you know, drew some braids on it and sprayed a whole <laughs> bunch of cologne because I guess Rick wore a whole lot of cologne or something. So they sprayed a whole lot of cologne and then wrote Rick James on it. And then, you know. So somebody, so when his mom and all those guys and the dignitaries came all in, they came in and they saw that on the chalkboard and they were like, (laughs) 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 so they were like, somebody made fun of Rick James in front of his mom and you know, all this other kind of stuff. And and again, then then they blame me. (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) yeah, and and I was just like, I said, look, unless you think Rick James looks like Howdy Doody, you know, then I didn't, because I said, I drew Howdy Doody. I said, and if somebody did something beyond, I said, it had braids. 
I said, I didn't put no braids on it. I said, I don't know who did that, you know. And, and so we went round and round. And his brother got all, you know, got all, you know, up in the chest. Like, he was going to, like, I was like, dude, you, I guess, look. <laughs> it ain't even like that. You, you know, it ain't. So then they were like, you can't come tonight. I remember I came down there at this party. And I came down with a couple of girls and was trying to, you know, get into the party. You can't come in. I'm like, why? What do you mean? Why can't I come in? Like he, had, you know, you ain't you ain't invited. You can't come in there anymore. Our parties, because you you drew a picture of Rick that looked like Howdy Doody. So I'm like, oh God, please, <laughs> you know. And so it just got to be. And then we finally had to all get together in a room and talk it out. And that's when I found out that they thought I was mad and had an attitude and blah 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 blah. But that was the tension thing. Okay. Did you ever talk to Rick or see Rick after that point? Any later years or anything? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's funny because I saw him and Tina not long before he passed away because oh, okay. they were living, I think in Pasadena or somewhere. And, um, and, you know, I used to hang out in Pasadena and it's funny because, you know, they didn't, they didn't recognize me, mm. you know, because, you know, nobody ever, I mean, even still people just don't recognize, they expect me, I guess, to, you know, look old or whatever and, and, you know, dated or whatever. And I just, I'm always, I'm always changing my vibe and I'm always just, you know, I just, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just a person of, of, of the world. I'm still a student of everything. I'm still learning from mm-hmm. stuff. I still love fashion. I still love music. I still keep my, my head to the ground. And so, so it's funny because they were sitting outside eating at the sushi restaurant. And I was with, um, you know, a girl that I was dating at the time. And I was like, oh, my God, there's Rick James and Tina Marie. <laughs> and I was like, and she said, oh, you know them? I said, yeah. I said, I was on tour with both of them. I said, watch this. And so, because I, you know, I love to clown around, especially people, you know. And so they were sitting there and there was an open chair, right? And so I snuck up and I went and sat in the chair. I said, what's up, y'all? <laughs> and they were looking and Rick, you know, Rick always, he, he leans back and he looks at you with that look, right? And then Tina was like, he was like, Andre? And Rick was like, Simone. I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I didn't know who that was. And then we wound up sitting there talking to me. <laughs> We got caught up, and then, uh, right yeah, because I hadn't seen him for a while, and then Tina I hadn't seen, you know. You know, we were all really tight. We got to be really good friends. You know, okay. we hung out in Minneapolis one time, but he did a show. So, yeah, he, you know, I mean, that was a really cool brother. I mean, you know, we, we got off on a, on a, on a bad foot because the first show we did, he pointed a gun at me, um, <laughs> you know, but not, not a real gun. But I guess the, you know, the, the love gun or whatever it was that he oh, had. Okay. Um, yeah, he pointed that thing at me and, uh, you know, I mean, like I said, I come from a place where you point something, you know, you point a gun, you better pull the trigger. You better use it. Cause I'm coming back. <laughs> you know? sure. And so, and I just, I really didn't, you know, the idea of pointing a gun at me, I'm just not one of those kind of people that you do stuff like that with, you know? Wow. So, and I let him know and it, you know, I think he thought, you know, it's one of those kind of things where I'm one of those kind of brothers where, you know, you could, you could play me like that. It's just don't, I'm not one of those kind of people. It's like, you know, you point, you don't point shit at me. I don't care who you are, you know, I, you know, and I, I completely, you know, cause he was, you know, I guess he was some big superstar and you know, none of that stuff means nothing to me. Right. You know, right. you're just people to me. People are people. I don't care if you do music and you're successful, you know, Hey, more power to you. Yeah. But that don't make you any better than anybody else. Right. You're still you know, a man. Just another just, man. You just, thank you. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just happen to do music. And good for you. Just if I go down to, you know, the Ford plant, you know, and I meet a brother there because I got, you know, families there, you know, it's like, look, man, we just people. We just boys and we hanging. 
you know, I that's why I go back even now, man. I hang with, you know, friends and always did go back and hang with friends of mine that I grew up with, mm-hmm. and, you know, and we just kick it. So, I mean, I don't all that kind of stuff and somebody pointing a gun at me like I'm supposed to somehow think that's funny. You know, I just completely, I, I completely lost it. In fact, Prince was like, chill, Andres, it's cool. I'm like, no, nah, it ain't cool. <laughs> but anyway, it, it wound up being, it, it, we ended up being cool. So Okay. Um, <clears throat> are you good for time, man? Because I, I don't want to. No, I'm good. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, so, Dirty Mind, uh, inching into the time. Now, I, let me put this out up front. I'm I'm a Prince fan, but I like the time stuff. And I know that's Prince and all that. But to me, like that music, I still bump that today. Like I send the car, you know, get it up, all them cuts. I blast mm-hmm. that. That's my joints. Now, mm-hmm. the time project, was this sort of a thing that all y'all was working on? Or were you doing like the girls? Or where, where does it sort of fall, you know, what was going on? You have a hand well, in some of that? You know, it, it's interesting because, you know, you know, I, I, you know, there's only so much. I can only give you my perspective. Sure. You know, everybody has a, everybody has a perspective. You know, and and that's that's probably probably a good thing. But from my little perspective, you know, I know that my last gig with Prince's band was in France, okay. and um, that's where I left my trench coat and you know and called it a day. But um, but. The, but the one thing that, that came from France was when I was in France, I saw some, I don't know who it was, but there was some French dude. I thought he was French. Turns out that he might be a British dude. And I think I know who he is and we're friends now. But as a dude that, I mean, this dude was so cool. He had this zoot suit on and he had a couple of girls surrounding him and he was playing this funky music. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I'm a, I'm a dude, you know, because my sister is a seamstress. She's the one who made, you know, all the time suits and Prince's oh, okay. trench coats and all of our, you know, know. You know even the Grand Central suits and all that other stuff. She even made the, the, the um, you know, the Vanity Six camisoles and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What's your sister's my name? Sister, so. Sylvia. So, okay. Yeah. And so, so, you know, so I'm like, I already had it all in my mind. And, and but my problem was is that I told Prince, <laughs> so, you know, and he had a record deal and, you know, and, and so, um, and Morris, who at the time was just, he was our, still our friend. He wasn't sort of, he had just been hanging around with kind of like, you know, you know, doing different things and running and doing errands and stuff like mm-hmm. that at the time. He wasn't, you know, but he wanted to get, you know, and I'm not sure quite what kind of a deal. I mean, again, you know, I'm a little older now, I'm a little wiser and, and, you know, there's some things that I know now that I didn't know then, you know, um, that, you know, might make things make a little bit more sense. But anyway, Morris wanted to do something. And, you know, I know that we always wanted to do something for Morris. And I know Prince and Morris were still close. Um, and so they were talking about putting together a group, you know, and putting together a group, you know, with Morris. And, you know, I, I think originally it was with Morris just being in the group because, you know, and so they thought, well, we'll audition some people. And I remember they auditioned um Alexander O'Neill, mm-hmm. he was going to originally be the lead singer. And, um, you know, he had something where he had to do push-ups before he did any performing. And so that became, you know, oh. an issue because we were in there uh, auditioning and he's like, I got to do my push-ups first. And we were like, <laughs> you, and you got to do this before every gig? 
before you do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got to do my push-ups. Is that why that brother okay, be sweating well, so hard? Well, when you finish those, when you finish those push-ups, <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs> wow. So yeah, so um, but yeah, and so I, uh, you know, so he didn't wind up being the lead singer. So and then Morris, I mean, in Grand Central, he would only come behind the drums from behind the drums and sing "Love Won't Let Me Wait." You know, and so I, you know, I mean, I would have never seen that one. So that was something that Prince and Morris, you know, they had more foresight than I did because mm-hmm. I never saw that. But, you know, that's just my involvement, the little bit of perspective that I have on that and the rest they did. I know as far as the music was concerned, I think some of that stuff came out of jam sessions because we used to jam a lot, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, I have some of those jam sessions where I'm playing and a lot of the stuff is is you know not exactly the same but very similar and you know again right. like i said you know we're all doing this that's why i'm not you know i'm not trying to take any credit for anything because mm-hmm. it's not like prince couldn't have wrote that stuff without me or it's not like i can't write stuff without him or vice versa and on and on and on but i have this stuff you know i mean i have mm-hmm. you know the Dooney babies the original versions i have the list work and what it used to be called let's rock and you know all that other kind of stuff so you know, I mean, and, and it's me playing on them, but eventually they become me not playing on them. There's the same thing. It's just that instead of me actually playing on them, it says somebody else is playing on them, but it's the same stuff. And so, hmm. I mean, that's where it got a little bit weird, you know, because it's like, you know, that's, it'd be like if, if I had a jam session with my band, you know, and my band came up with, you know, you know, we're just jamming and came up with these sort of parts, you know, and then I came and said, oh, great parts, I'll play them all. And then it'll, I'll say, I play them all. You know, it, it, something about that don't seem quite right. Hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it's fine because we're boys and that's what, you know, and you're like, you know, hey, I want to, you know, that's part of my thing is to be able to say, you know, for the people, that's part of my, you know, um, you know, my uh, presentation, my marketing thing. And, you know, I understand that. Right. You, know, you got to do what you got to do. You got to, like I said, like I always say, if you can make some money, do what you got to do to make that money, you know. But it does get a little bit weird, and I can see how people could 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 look at that and say that's not really right, you know. Was it because a, a, if, go ahead. if you're jamming, if you're jamming and, and you come up with this like dope bass part, like you know, and then. And you're jamming on it, but then when it actually goes to be recorded for the record, and the bass part is still, and then you're going, you know, it, and everything around it is different, but that's still sort of the essence, or whether it's you know some other you know, some other bass pattern that's you know a very indicative bass pattern, you know, but you're just not playing it anymore. Somebody else is. I just don't know how that. That's an interesting. You know, only only somebody that's close to you can do that. Right. And 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 then you know, kind of, not really be called to task on it because you got to be really close to somebody to say, you know, hey, okay, all right, well, you know, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't normally do that. Like if that normally happened, they obviously would probably we'd have a problem. So, but you know, when it's you know when it's your boy and you're close, it's different. So. When does it be- I think we got there was, there was some of that that went on. When does it become? It sounds like there's a part of, like you said, there's certain things you do for family or for your partners, but you know, at the end of the day, too, you guys are in a business, right? 
Mm-hmm. And does it get to a point where it's like, was it becoming more business? And it's sort of the blurred lines of, uh, you know, hey, man, actually, you know, actually, yeah, I did get down on that. But when things start to come out, names aren't on things like, and again, this no shade for nobody, you know, right, a lot yeah. older at this point, just saying, looking back at it, I mean, how was it sort of like, was it becoming too much of a business where, I don't know, people were uh, not able to communicate or something. I'm, I'm just curious to just, you know, and this is a, le- a lesson learned for any other cats coming up or doing stuff where it's like, do you have to be very concretely like, hey, okay, you, you did this. You did that. Make sure everybody's straight. Or you sound like you coming from a, a situation. Correct me if I'm wrong. Where we were so cool, where you just didn't even think that you even had to say nothing about that. I was like, you wouldn't even expect my man. That's my man. Like, I ain't, I ain't got to worry. Yeah. About. Well. Yeah. No. That's exactly what it was. And and it was a thing about you know I know for me it just got to be you know it got to a point where I really you know. I mean, I was a hustler, you know, I was used to making a little bit of money, even if it was, you know, illegitimate, you know, and, and I just got to the point where I'm doing this music thing and I ain't really making no money, but, mm-hmm. you know, somebody else has a house with like, you know, with like this dope shower and the show, this dope t- tub and, you know, and all this dope car and, you know, and I'm like still at my mom's crib mm-hmm. and, I'm like, and I know I'm all involved in everything, and it's like, well, and I'm going, I'm asking, I'm starting to ask those questions. You know? like, we ain't eating I'm over like, here. Well, I'm not eating. I, yeah, I can't even, I'm like, you know, I, I can't even really take my girl to the movies right, now, right. and it's like, you know, I mean, this ain't making no sense. Mm-hmm. And so it did, it, it, that's where it started becoming a thing where I thought, you know what, I love this brother, but you know what? I got to start doing some stuff where I can actually make some money. For sure. Because, you know, I mean, you know, it's nothing against. It's just, you know, it's just all about survival now. You know, and it's like, I'm not mad at anybody. I understand it. It's business. You know, it's like, hey, you know, this is this is how he was handling his thing. And, you know, and I was, I just, I felt like I was on some different, end of the spectrum because other people were, you know, that were involved with making money and getting money and, you know, and getting credit. And I, I felt like, you know, I felt a little bit, you know, on the outside of that. So I thought, you know what, let me just go try to do my own thing, you know, cause you know, I mean, I'm obviously, if this is how it is and I understand it and I, right. you know, cause I got into this thing, I was a big boy. I got into it and, you know, it's his thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, Hey, you know what, this is your thing. You know, um, I'm going to go on ahead and start trying to do my thing because I can't, you know, in this situation, I can't really live the kind of life I want to live. I have, I've always had aspirations and goals about doing things. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I was going to be in somebody's band where I have to wait for somebody to kick me down. You know, that's just right. not the kind of person that I am. It's just not my personality. So right. It's like, hey, you know what? I wish you all the best. I love you, brother. I'm going I'm to make this move. And so that was it. Okay, I respect that. Respect. Now, knowing that you guys was close, and like I know your mom, like I said, y'all. I mean, I'm curious, like how did your family? Because they see the success, like man, they doing their thing, it's growing, and then these two brothers going separate. Like, how did that take it? And again, you answer how you want to, but in terms of like you know the family and stuff, was it kind of like, oh, you know what? We so we we gonna rock with you over here, Andre. Do your thing, or was it was they trying to like can y'all patch it up, or you know what I mean? Like, see, it was deeper well, yeah, than just my, music, right? 
Yeah, it, you know, it's funny, you're right. My mom was, because I, you know, I actually left, you know, um, before we did Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. Um, and then there was some stuff that went on that was really crazy. But, you know, I was like, you know what? And that's when I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a move because, you know, this obviously, you know, is not the situation, you know, that's going to be best for me as an artist and as an individual. You know, and so, like I said, you know, no hard feelings, you know, because I wasn't mad. In fact, I was, I was actually, you know, it was like, it was like a brand new kind of day. It's like, wow, I'm going to go do my thing. Mm-hmm. So I was excited. Now, as far as my family is concerned, you know, I mean, you know, different people. And again, you know, everybody has their perspective and it's hard for me to speak for other people. I can only speak for myself. And I know that some of my family members, you know, um, you know, felt a little bit, you know, um, on the outside of, you know, the, the success that, you know, that, you know, um, they felt a part of, you know, because obviously we were all supporting, mm-hmm. you know, each other, you know, and our families were very supportive of all of us. When we were Grand Central, our family was always right there. When we were doing a gig, our families were always right there. Okay. You know, I mean, no matter how small or big, when we did our first show at the Capri, families were right there. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, everybody felt very, you know, I mean, my mom was probably the first big Andre or Prince fan ever. Okay. You know, so, you know, so it's kind of, you know, it's it's a little interesting, you know, on that level for things to sort of, you know, to see things take off and, you know, and, and for people to feel like they weren't, you know, sort of a part of that anymore. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, you know, I really don't know. I mean, I think him and my mom were still pretty close, you know, although, I mean, there was a lot of things that used to be you know, that used to be, that seemed like it was pretty interesting, but, you know, my mom was just a big, she was a big supporter of his and a big mm-hmm. supporter of mine and a big supporter of all of ours. I mean, she was just like, you know, she was just that mom that you'd want to have there kind of always trying to keep us together. She right. was, Even, you know, me and Jody's thing, you know, it was the same thing, you know, when we were doing our thing and, you know, even when we started, like, you know, when we split up, Mm-hmm. You know, she was still trying to get us to do music together. You know, it's like okay. this is just how my mom, it's how my mom is. It's like you know, and you know, and, and even when I would come home, you know, I would come home and all my boys would be there. You know, Charles, William. She'd call everybody and say, you know, Andre's Andre's coming in town. You know, you guys, you know, when he comes in town, he loves to play basketball. So they'd be like, you know, I mean, she'd have all my friends there, and then wow. you know, she'd have a whole basketball set up, and mm-hmm. we play some knocked out some of our best games. Were like, I didn't even know. I'd come home, and you know, it'd all be set up, and I'd get, I'd get, I'd either come out of the limo or wherever I was coming, and like, oh, where's my tennis shoes? <laughs> and my mom said they're right here, and she'd already have them set up for me. Wow. You know, and she, you know, and it was like that. So I just put them on, and we like, okay, all right, twenty-one, one on one, three on three, whatever. So yeah, I mean, so it was. It was like that. It was fun. It sounded like your mom really held you down, man. Like she sounded like she was that lady. There's a lot of ca- a lot really, of moms like that in a really lot of did. neighborhoods that really just sort of held down the area. And everybody respected and showed a lot of love. So I, I can respect that. I understand that. Um, she really did. In fact, she was probably you know again you know even when she passed away and or when she was um, when she was sick, you know. Um, that's pretty much what brought me and Prince kind of back together. And, you know, we kind of reconnected our bond. It was because um, okay. she passed, passed, passed away in 2003. Okay. And before that, we, he and I hadn't talked for literally for years, you know, 
you know, like we hadn't talked for a long time. And, uh, and I remember we were, I was, I had been, you know, with her at the hospital cause I had just been staying. I was literally living at the hospital for a while while she was there. And, and I remember she had gotten better. Mm-hmm. And so she was, she was having a, a little bit of a party cause there was always a lot of people there, you know, cause my mom was really popular. And so she sent me to go get some pizzas. And so I went and got a bunch of pizzas, probably about 10 pizzas or something like that. And I went, you know, I was on my way back. And as I'm walking in, who do I see getting on the elevator at the same time? But Prince, his, uh, I think it was his wife at the time, um, uh, Larry Graham and his wife. Okay. And I look and I'm like, you better grab some of these pizzas. <laughs> so we, we walk into the hospital room and my mom, man, the look on her face right, was right. priceless. Wow. You know, and she was like, I mean, so from then on, she was just, she was cracking jokes. She was in complete rare form and, you know, and um, yeah, and it was just, it was, it was a really, really beautiful. And it made me realize, you know what, whatever kind of thing we had, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. We need to get right. past it because mm-hmm. we really are like brothers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's, again, my mom bringing us together. Wow, man. That's and that's where y'all worked it out right there. Like you said, life is too short. And yeah, uh, yeah that's what moms do, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. put all that foolishness out. Y'all are supposed to be bigger than this. You know, <laughs> let the world get in front of the, to the bond. So that, that's, 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 that's deep, man. I didn't really know that. I never heard about that. Well, obviously I never would have known, but. Yeah. Well, it, it actually got, it got deeper than that because, you know, the unfortunate thing was, you know, um, obviously the hospital, you know, um, cause like I said, she got better. They were talking about letting her go the next day or in a couple of days, they said uh-huh. she'd be able to come back home. But, you know, obviously Prince is a, you know, he's a superstar. Mm-hmm. And so when he came to the hospital and the staff was like that, that's Prince. So they moved my mom overnight, which they weren't supposed to do. And when they moved her, she took a turn for the worst. Oh, man. And, um, and then, um, they called me and I had to come down to intensive care and, and uh, the next day she passed away. Oh. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, but, you know, obviously, you know, it's, it's nobody's fault. It's not like it's anybody's fault or anything like that. You know I mean? You know, it's, you know, the hospital was, was supposed to let me know if they were going to move her. They didn't, you know? Um, and so anyway, I mean, they were going to move her to a bigger room because, you know, I mean, she, you know, I guess, there was a lot of people I and all that it. kind of stuff. So, right, right. Yeah. Damn, I'll get it. I'll get it. All right. Um, <clears throat> all right. So, uh, your first album, you, you, you left the print situation, you started your own. Now, did you hook up with, uh, was it the cat named Owen? Did he become your manager or was it Chris? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the thing is, is that I, I literally, you know, um, because I did the last part of Prince's tour for free. So I didn't make any money. Um, so I was like straight broke. Mm. Um, so I was like, you know, I mean, my brother had, um, my, my brother had, um, had uh, invested in some recording in the little four track. And so I was able to, you know, kind of record some stuff on four track and do that whole thing. And so I thought, you know, um, you know, I could just call Columbia and say, listen, you know, why don't you guys give me a record deal? And so I did. I called them and I said, listen, you guys should give me a record deal. And they're like, what do you, what do you mean? You know, 
I was like, yeah, I'm Andre Simone. You know, you should just give me a record deal. And they were like, well, it don't work like that. You know, you got to send us a demo and, you know, you got to have a manager and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and at the time, Prince and Owen had fallen out. So I called Owen and said, listen, man, you know, I think I can get a deal at Columbia. And uh, I called him up and they said, you know, just send me a demo. So he was like, and he's like, well, you got to do it right. So, you know, he had me take some pictures and we cut some songs actually in the studio. And then uh, he got me a deal. Okay. That album, man, I remember, to me, the, the your first album is like when I was, God, I don't know, I must have been in like middle school or starting high school, but it was like the older cats from my neighborhood, that was the joint, I would always see that cover, that album, and mm -hmm. I was like, what, what is that? And it, where I lived, we didn't really have much awareness of, of Prince at that time, but I remember always seeing that cover, and I always remember here on the radio, you know, I don't know how the album did personally, but around here they were bumping get it girl like that was one right. of the cuts right and i always remember i remember that hearing that as when i was younger and then when i knew who you were and i started learning about it i was like oh that was that dude okay i was like that yeah, they was bump they've been bumping them songs so it was interesting to me like you was really hitting in the neighborhoods at least i hear uh even when i went to yeah. um houston i remember hearing you guys' stuff pretty heavy but um yeah so that album had a lot of cuts I man of course kelly's eyes what was a big song, I'm sure. Um, yeah. How did that album do for you? I mean, did you get the tour on that? You know, I did. I did. I did a small tour. It didn't do, it didn't make a whole lot of noise. I mean, the thing is, if I'd have understood, if I knew, you know, I guess, how does it go? If I knew then what I know now, <laughs> right, right. I would have done things, I would have done things a whole lot different. Um, but I think what happened was, I thought, you know, my attitude was I want to do something that nobody else is doing, period. Mm -hmm. You know, I just I just wanted to do something completely different instead of, you know, I mean, like even, you know, I mean, like even now, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, with, with this album, with the stone. It's like, you know, I, you know, I, I look at it like this. You're given a gift. Yeah, you could, you know, if it's about money, then you do you do things to make money. Mm -hmm. You know, but for me it's about the art and it's about trying to do something different and trying to raise, you know, trying to, you know, raise the stakes of the game and play something a little, do something a little bit different, you know I mean? And so, you know, with that album, I just thought, well, let me do something new. Cause what I was originally going to do, which I told you was kind of like the, what ended up being like the time. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, I had songs already that were funky and all that other kind of stuff. And I had my whole vibe set and then, you know, the time came out and kind of beat me to that whole thing. So I thought, okay, I had to regroup. So I thought, well, let me, let me do something totally different. And I was into Devo and craft work. And I thought, I'm going to be black Devo. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, let's just do that. You know, and so I just, because I was already into like really, um, you know, um, I was one of the first in the country, one of the first three in the country to have this thing called the PPG, which was you know, the first sort of sequencer, you know, um, Hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know, all the stuff that people had, you know, it's now like Logic and Pro Tools. Right, right. But back then it was, it was like, it was me, Stevie Wonder and Thomas Dolby were the only ones that had it in this country. Wow. So, um, so I was into this really, I was trying to create, you know, music of the future. I thought, you know what, I'm going to just try to see how far I can take this whole thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was trying to create, you know, vocoders and, you know, all kinds of different kinds of sounds and, you know, really getting into it like that, 
you know, the, on, the only problem is that I was signed to um, the R&B department at Columbia, mm-hmm. which is basically the, the black department, and mm-hmm. they, they weren't feeling the experiment. They just wanted me to, to do the same thing. They wanted me to be, you know, to do the same thing Prince was doing. Okay. And uh, to make that same kind of music. And I was like, you know, I'm trying to be an artist. I'm trying to be individual. And mm-hmm. I got away from that to try to do something different. And so, um, and I remember them cutting out, you know, the top 10 saying, why don't you just do something like the top 10 R&B songs? Write something. Because, I mean, you know, Larkin, who was my guy, he knew I could do all that stuff because he heard, you know, stuff that I had cut. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he came to Minneapolis and he heard all kinds of stuff that I did. You know, so he's like, why don't you just do something like that? I was like, because I don't want to. I want to do stuff like this. Why don't you guys promote this? Hmm. You know, so we would go round and round. Because, again, I, was, I wasn't into it. I wasn't doing music just to make money. I, was, I considered myself an artist then. I consider myself an artist now. It's like, you know what? I'm just trying to, you know, just be an artist. I want to be able to, you know, be successful, you know, doing something different not doing what everybody else is doing. That's just not my thing. You know, I have the ability to do something, you know, unique. I want to do that. You know, I just need somebody to market it. And we went head, we, we bumped heads and, and on and on. And finally, I just said, you know what, if you guys can't promote it, I'm not going to make any more music. You know, and that's, and I said, and I tried to get them to let me know. In fact, I went into the office and said, why don't you guys just drop me? And they wouldn't do it. <laughs> so that's when I started producing because they, they wouldn't let me off the label. So I just thought, you know what, I won't do it. You know, and, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, if I'd have thought about it, I would have wrote slave on my cheek, but I thought rather than write slave on my cheek, I just said, I'm just not even going to do it, you know? And so you're not going to pimp me. So, wow. you know, if I can't do what I want to do, then you're not going to get anything. And I'll go, I'm going to make money for somebody else, which is what I did. And I went and, you know, made money for RCA, for Columbia and okay. for a whole lot mm-hmm. of other different people. All right, one um, one other track I wanted to ask um, you about. MCA. I'm sorry, MCA. Um, on the yeah. on your last album, I guess you did for I think it was on Columbia. It was the AC album? Was that? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you had the song Dance Electric. So apparently, at some point in there, you and Prince had to have some sort of conversation. It was like, "Yo, let me do this song. Or I got this song." Now I remember watching. Uh, I believe it was a Prince interview he did it was on TV. Like I think when he was doing Under the Cherry Moon or something, and I swear he was talking about this song in terms of when he gave it to you or how you guys mm-hmm. came together mm-hmm. to talk about it. And he's kind of it was a funny sort of way he was doing it, you know, talking kind of something a little slick talking there, but I don't know. But then I've heard you say that uh, I don't know you did. It was a different way of how you guys came together. But I'm curious, what brought you guys together after you? sort of a bunch of separate ways. How did it come back to where you can do this song? Yeah, I really didn't appreciate that. Yeah, because it was... Uh, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I'm a, talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Because that became a... That was a problem for me. Because, I mean, I, I thought it was really cool originally. I thought, you know what? Because he was hot and he was doing this thing. And originally, I didn't want to do it. You know, because, you know, I mean... You know, it wasn't like I was looking for somebody to throw me some sort of a lifeline or anything right, like right. that. I was doing my thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I wasn't doing it trying to get some, you know, hit or anything like that. I was trying to do it on my own terms, you know. And so when he came and said, you know, I, you know, are you interested in doing this song? I got this song. It's perfect for you, you know, and that's how it was originally presented. Okay. And I thought, that's really cool. I thought, you know what? That's that's cool. 
you know. And so that's how it was in the spirit of when I first, you know, thought that it was a great idea, you know, or when I finally said it, you know, because obviously the record company loved the idea. And, right. You know, but then when I saw that whole thing that you're talking about, I was like, okay, now see, this is why, because then it was like, yeah, I told Andre to come get this hit. He knows he needs this hit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, all of a sudden, then it ain't so cool anymore because it ain't like, you know, we're boys and he's just, you know, because I would never do that. But anyway, I mean, so then it gets into that whole, you know, you know, childish thing for me, at least from my standpoint, being childish, you know, I guess I probably should have just let that roll off my back. But as you probably come to understand, I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> I'm a very serious individual and I'm not, I don't take kindly to anybody cracking jokes about any aspect of anything that I'm trying to do because I take what I do serious. Mm. So that became a problem. But, you know, but, you know, again, I mean, in retrospect, now that I'm older and wiser, I think it's it's still cool, you know, because I think I think he meant, I think he had all the best intentions, you know, um, and I think you know, um, you know, it was just probably caught up in the moment or whatever, mm -hmm. and you know, and you know, you never know because you know, even even now, people, you know, when I do interviews, some people flip the interviews around and make it sound like I'm angry or bitter and uh, I'm right. far from any of that. And I always, I've never been bitter and angry about any of that stuff. I mean, that I took a little bit personal because, you know, I mean, not very many people probably would, wouldn't take that personal because it's, it's really, you know, it's an interesting thing to have somebody sort of cracking a joke on nationwide television at your expense, right, <laughs> you know, right, right. just not something that I really, you know, would expect from somebody that, uh, you know, I consider my brother, but, you know, but that was that, and that was then, and, you know, and we all get past that kind of stuff, and I got past it. Okay. Uh, Andre, th this is Sean. I want to ask you about the, the hit-and-run era. You did, what, three three shows during that time in 86? Was What's hit-and-run? The uh, tour he did in 86, uh, the uh, parade tour. Did you participate what? in some of those shows? Did you do the Dance no. Electric? Oh, you know what? I think I came, I came up and 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 sat in on a couple of shows, but I wasn't, yeah. I was, I wasn't on the tour. It just so happened that I was in town. Okay, you're and, in town. Um, yeah, it just so happened I was in town, and he was like, "You want to come up?" And I was like, "Yeah." And uh, right. sure. Yeah. So you were, it wasn't you were... like a, it wasn't a planned thing. It wasn't a uh, an organized thing. It was just a random, very random. Uh, thing that just so happened because i remember it was like i, I want to say san francisco or somewhere weird like that that um i just happened to be you know in town and and um you know you know said hey i'm gonna come down to the show or something like that and went down to the show and he said hey you want to come sit in and i was like sure and uh, i don't even know if i actually sang or if i just played on it or what you know because you know i mean i i, I can't remember that i would have it was like it's like recently he asked me to come and sit in on um he was doing a show here in Los Angeles. And uh he same thing. He said, Hey man, you know, I'm gonna do dance electric, you wanna sit in? And and, you know, I was like, dude, I don't even know the words. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, Don't worry, I got a teleprompter. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, Oh, okay. So yeah, and we had so much fun and it was uh yeah, it was cool. Cool. All right. Um, all right. So now I got to ask you about this because this was the jam and this album was fire. Jody Wiley. Wait, wait, wait. Mike, mm -hmm. Mike. 
Yeah. Before we go to Jody Watley, outside production, Andre, two things. Yep. One, the song Red Light. That mm-hmm. was, first of all, thank you, because that was on my Mac mixtape back in the day and <laughs> worked very well. For me. And two, um, when you were putting together, wait, before I even ask this question, Mike, are we going in chronological order? No, do it how you want to do it. It's fine. Okay, with your new band, <clears throat> you know, I, I was watching some of the footage of your recent show last week and some of the footage from your America video. Have you changed members in your band? Uh, you know, the, the, the band that's, that, was, that um, was with me in New York and on my recent shows are the band, the same guys who recorded the album. Um, the America video was a whole bunch of different guys that I just got for the video because we were just shooting the video for for the uh, Barack Obama re-election campaign. And so we were just trying to put this, put something together to kind of tie into that whole thing and all the proceeds went to his re-election campaign. And so that was a separate, a completely separate thing. Same with the, well, the Trayvon thing, it was just me. But, you know, I did those things, you know, just for, you know, just to bring awareness to the Trayvon thing. In fact, we're going to do a thing, um, you know, uh, coming up, um, regarding the midterm election thing. So I'm going to try to get some people together to put that thing together. Because part of, part of the reason why I'm even coming back is, is besides the fact that I love to make music and I, you know, I love the idea of performing and getting back into it. But it's also to be able to you know, be a voice and have a voice and get involved in, I guess, some political aspects of what's going on. Because this, you know, it's like, like the 60s, you know, we are in a, in a different period but it's a very evolutionary period where you know if we don't get people to look at what's going on and to be aware of of the power that they have because you know not to get too political because you know i mean i don't know what you know know, i know this is about something it's about the music and all that but but the, the reality is obviously the minority is now becoming the majority and so you know, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, everybody, you know, um, you know, um, that, you know, used to be sort of, you know, you know, just kind of a footnote and treated like, you know, you're just those people over there. We running things over here. Now the power is going to be in the majority and they'll be able to make changes on their actual life and their landscape and how things can, you know, can progress going forward. You know, and so, you know, but what's happening is people are recognizing that they have to try to put in laws to stop the majority from having the power that they're going to inherit anyway. And so they're trying to rig the system, you know, so that, you know, so that the majority isn't going to be powerful enough to make changes. So they're, they're gerrymandering districts and, you know, I mean, and so the midterm elections that are coming up are so important to the future of this country on every level from, you know, from, you know, from all the, the chemtrails that you see that, you know, are basically given, you know, our kids and our babies, you know, asthma and all kinds of other stuff. The only way all that stuff is going to change, you know, cause a lot of these corporations are the ones who are, are, are driving all this stuff. The only way it's going to change is if people understand that your vote counts. And if you vote these people in and these people meaning Republicans, cause they're, you know, it's really simple. Republicans are for business. You know, Democrats are for people. It's, it's just that stark and that simple. 
but people don't understand it because people pay so much money to get people to, to vote against their own best interests. So part of the reason why I'm coming back is to be a voice for that and to tell people, look, listen, you know, you got to vote. You got to get involved. You got to vote for people that have your best interest at heart so that we don't wind up for my kids and for your kids. I mean, because, you know, I mean, if somebody was, you know, swinging a, 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 an axe or shooting a gun at your baby, you'd completely go nuts, you know. So it ain't no different, you know, from what's going on, but they're just doing it covertly, you know, because they're still threatening your children. They're still threatening you and they're threatening your livelihood. So anyway, so that's, you know, that, that going back to your original question was the band, you know, that was for um, America, the America video was a different, I think everybody was different. I don't think there was anybody in that video that was actually on the record for the exception of the bass player played on, on one song he played on. It's all right. Oh, okay. Which is my cut. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Jody Watley. I wanted to ask about mm-hmm. that that first album. Uh, how did you meet Jody? And second, uh, did she approach you to produce that album? I'm just curious how you got that that particular gig or job. You know, it's funny. Um, she, when I was doing the dance electric video, um, you know, the guy who actually did the video was a guy named Bill Parker, and Bill Parker, his I don't know if they were married or if they were just in a relationship, but he was in a relationship with this woman named Carolyn Ali. And Carolyn Ali was, uh, I think, managing Jody at the time. But I know they were really close because she's uh, Jody's daughter's godmother. And um, But, you know, I think, you know, you know, somehow or another Jody, you know, knew that I was going to be over there and, you know, and um, wanted to meet me and, you know, and, so it just randomly happened that she happened to be there when I was when I came there for a meeting, and so, and I knew who Jody was. I wasn't really all that familiar. I mean, I knew obviously who, um, you know, who she who Shalimar was, and um, and she was saying that you know she was, um, you know she was you know you know thinking about you know doing a solo thing, and she had put some songs together and she played me some of her music and and all of that, and asked me if I was interested in writing some stuff, and so. Um, and so I was like, yeah. And, and, and she came out to Minneapolis and we hung out and, you know, and she was so cool. I mean, she was just really, you know, just spiritually, just a really cool person. She had such a, I mean, she still is. I mean, she's got a, you know, the most amazing sense of humor and, you know, she's just talented. So we started kind of writing and working together and, you know, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, cause the stuff she was originally doing was very different from, the stuff that I started writing for, because she, I think she said that she really liked what I did for Evelyn Champagne King. And okay. so she was, you know, so I thought, well, you know, I mean, you know, I don't like to do the same thing for other people that I do for anybody. Cause it's like, you know, it's like, you know, um, even, you know, after I did Jody and she became really successful, you know, I, I wound up getting a lot of, you know, people coming at me like the Vanessa Williams and, and, um, you know, um, and, um, pebbles and just every kind of girl you know single solo artist you know every record label was trying to get me to do their do the same thing and i just wouldn't do it because it's like you know i did that for jody mm-hmm. and so i wound up you know i had just met la and babyface you know because there used to be a club in la that everybody used to hang out at you know eddie murphy you name it everybody used to hang out at this club called carlos and charlie and so um i met la and babyface and they had just they were in a group called the deal and 
Mm-hmm. You know, they were there hanging out and they were saying they were doing production stuff. And, you know, I said, if I had any, you know, any, you know, people that I could refer, refer them to. And I was like, Hey, if I hear anything. And so, you know, so it was just a networking thing. And so, you know, when I decided I wasn't going to do all these different groups, I kept saying, Hey, there's these groups, you know, these guys, the deal, and they're doing a production thing, you know, kind of like the Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis thing. You know, um, they're really good, blah, 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 blah. Let's, hook, you know, hook them up, you know, let them do the Pebbles thing. I did the the um, the, the thing on uh, Beverly Hills Cop, but, um, you know, but I didn't, I wasn't interested in doing the album, but these guys, they could do the album and blah, 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 blah. And then they got Mercedes Boy and they got a hit, blah, wow, right. you know, and then I, you know, I think, um, I think there was some Tiny LaBelle stuff. I think, you know, definitely hooked up with the Vanessa Williams thing. And they sent me a Christmas card and, you know, they were like, thanks. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm like, hey, you know, and that's just, you know, again, it's just how I am, it's who I am and how I am. Wow. So you had hooked them up with Pebbles. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I told the label that, you know, these guys, you know, check these guys out. They could probably do the album because I, I used to be really close with a guy named Lil Silas, who actually, I think, uh, was the executive producer on that project because he was trying to get me to do Pebbles' album. I didn't even want to do the song originally. Because I just thought, you know, it's not really cool to do the same thing, you know, for, you know, you know, that I was doing for Jody, for everybody else. I just, mm-hmm. I, you know, that concept hadn't really connected with me. I just thought that that's not really cool to, you know, give somebody else the style that you worked on for somebody else. Although that became, you know, what everybody did eventually. Right. It's just everybody just did everything for everybody until everybody sounded the same. You know, and that's, you know, to me, part of the problem now is that, you know, everybody, you get every producer doing the same thing for every artist, but then they all sound the same. You know, I just didn't, I wasn't interested in doing that. You know, again, that's why, you know, when I did the space music with the surviving in the 80s stuff, and even now, it's like, I'm just trying to do something different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, I can do what everybody else is doing. I can do that stuff in my sleep. But it's like, I'm not interested in doing that. I want to do something different. I want to, you know, bring people to a different, I want to, you know, bring people to a different place. You know, I don't want to bring them to the same place. I mean, what fun is that? That's not growth. It's like, I want to take them, I want to take them somewhere else on a different journey, you know, open people's minds up and and have them experience something different. And, you know, with the next album that I've I've already, you know, written, it takes it even to another level, you know? And then, like you said, early on, I'm going to get into some funk because I love funk. You know, I, I mean, I love to play funk. I still love to play bass. Mm-hmm. I, li- I mean, a funky beat is a funky beat, you know, but I just think in, in terms of trying to express myself as an artist, you know, and, and to say some of the things that I like to say in music, it's kind of hard to be able to ex- express yourself in such a way, you know, that you can, you know, in, in, in certain kind of rock-driven songs. You can kind of, it's just more, you know, with the guitars and things like that, you can kind of, you can talk a different language, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, with funk, you can talk a different language there, but there's a lot of people doing a certain amount of, you know, a certain kind of funk. They're not doing the kind of funk that I would do, you know, because I just, you know, I mean, I know what, I know what you're talking about. And I know what you, <laughs> you know, when you think, now I want to get some of that original, I know exactly, I got some of that stuff. I could actually play it right now. Hey, but, I you know, you but could. the thing is, yeah. But it's just, you know, it's like, it's, I'm, you know, it's about this right now and I'm trying to do this thing and get this thing off. And if I can get it rolling and, and kind of get to the point where people, you know, pay a little bit of attention to me, I want to mm-hmm. really bring people up on, 
you know, where, where things are at. And, and I want to get involved in, in helping this world, you know, take it to the next level, you know, and, and, and represent like, you know, like, you know, Bob Marley and Curtis Mayfield and, and James Brown and some of those guys did, you know, back when they had the platform, mm-hmm. you know, they just didn't, they didn't just, you know, take the money and run. They took the money and elevated, you know, okay. their platform. I always thought that a lot of artists that, you know, that I, you know, grew up with would probably do that. And they haven't. And so it's like, you know what, maybe that was my job and maybe I slept. And so I got to come back and I got to get that right. And so whatever I got to do to try to get to that point, then I'm going to get to that point. And then maybe, maybe I was always meant to be the kind of artist that, you know, that, you know, was the people's artist that, you know, stood up for the people and, and, Hmm. you know, did music and, and stood in the crowd and, you know, and talked to Congress and, went went on went up to Capitol Hill and you know and was vocal about it and put my career on the line you know um to make sure that people were rec- represented you know and just because I was famous I didn't leave people behind you know and so you know I just never thought of a, thought of it that way so I'm just trying to go back and you know and uh and and do what probably I was supposed to do in the first place okay you brought up some interesting things you talked about music and how it sort of started to stagnate and stay the same. And, you know, I can kind of see where, you know, you brought up Jam and Lewis and you have uh, Babyface, you know, transitioning to Teddy Riley and, you know, t- Timberland. It's sort of like it became more about the sound of the producer as opposed to the artist. But I was curious, what do you think music is now compared to when, you know, when you guys was coming up and doing it? Like, is there an opportunity for musicians to sort yeah. of be on the forefront? <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, that's what I'm, that's one of the main, again, one of the main reasons why I'm coming back. It's like, you know, music used to be powerful. I mean, think about it. You know, I mean, Jimi Hendrix, Bob mm-hmm. Marley, you know, Bob Dylan, um, uh, you know, John Lennon, you know, they were singing about love, peace, you know, um, you know, soul, blackness, power, you know, um, and it's not that, you know, people aren't still doing that, but it's just, you know, it's just, it, it, the message gets so muddled when it's, you know, when you're calling, you know, women bitches and you, you're talking about Martin Luther King, somebody died for, for us to get to the, some of the points that we're at and people talking, of, you know, cracking jokes about Rosa Parks and you start to lose you know, um, you know, a little bit of the cachet that you, that was built, you know, and then you start, you know, then you start pairing with, you know, nothing against, you know, but you start pairing with other artists that, you know, um, and literally blurring the lines, you know, Hilarious. and, you know, and, and then, be, yeah, you know, and then you got, you know, then all of a sudden Justin Timberlake, you know, nothing, not that he's not talented, but then, you know, it's just, you start, you know, and then you, then, you, then it's just, then you're, then it's American Idol, and then it's a mm-hmm. big giant talent show, and then you know, and before you know, I mean, Lady Gaga is just completely Madonna, and and it just, it just starts becoming. It's like before you know, it's just a hodgepodge of a bunch of stuff that it all basically sounds the same. It's mm-hmm. the same producers, it's the same beat, it's the same rhythm. It's just it's all the stuff, and, and I'm it's not some, I'm not somebody who's just mad or anything like that. And I'm like, you know, like like they were when Elvis came out or like they were when the Beatles came out. It's just, because it'd be different if I couldn't do that stuff, you know. 
but I can. And it's not even that. It's just, can they do what I do? No. And so it's like, you know, so it's not that. It's just that music was powerful and it has become marginalized and it has no, and now it's just background noise. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, you know, people have made almost a joke out of music. And people don't even want to pay for music anymore. And, and to a large extent, how can you blame them? Because people can go on a, 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 can go on GarageBand and they can make the same music or they can go on Logic or they can go on Pro Tools and they can just, anybody can. I mean, I read a, an article where dude was saying that I can make my beats in my bathtub. You know, <laughs> that's, that's fine. That's great. But, you know, but, you know, but if that's not marginalizing music, you know, because if anybody can make a, a beat in their bathtub, which is fine, but who wants to pay for that? Right. You know, it's like th- there's no value to that anymore. It's like they can get a beat anywhere. You know, and anybody can come up with a beat. Anybody can tap on a thing with their fingers and come up with a beat, especially when they, they can listen to somebody else's beat and emulate that. And then they, all they got to do is just say some stuff over the beat, you know. And if they can come up with a, a, a clever enough thing to say, then, then there you go. But, you know, everybody can't spend time and learn how to actually play an instrument. And everybody can't take time and actually learn how to, you know, tell a story or learn how to say something, you know, turn a phrase and all that other kind of stuff and, and say something that actually has power and depth that goes beyond, you know, just talking about meeting somebody at a club. You know, it's like, you know, the lyrics that are on this album and on the, the album that will be following this album up, you know, it's, it's deeper than that. And everybody, it's not going to be something that everybody's going to be into. I understand that. But I think the people that do get into it, you know, are going to go for a ride. They're going to go on a journey. And I'm going to be happy to take them on that journey. And I'm going to take that journey somewhere else. That Hopefully that journey will lead, you know, to being able to, to, to putting music back to a place where it will be powerful again. And it will mean something. You know, and you know, and and you know, and can have some sort of um, impact on people's lives, other than just you know me making money or somebody making money or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just because you know, I mean, music business is a different business now. You know, and so it ain't so easy where you just sign a record deal in some big record company. Record companies screw things up so bad that they ain't even making money anymore. So, you know, I mean they shot themselves in the foot, right. you know, by not, for one, by, by not actually, you know, taking artists by doing exactly what happened, cookie cutter, you know, artistry and, and, and having every producer make everything sound the same until there was no more value. You know, there's no, you know, nobody had any identity anymore. People don't want to pay for that stuff. Why should I, who wants to pay for something when they can get something for free? You know, you got something else, just somebody else on the corner selling the same thing only different. What's the difference between theirs, you know, who they're giving it away for free or, or for, you know, you can buy their record for, you know, $2, you know, or paying for some record company's record, you know, where you're paying $15 or whatever it is now, and because obviously now it's come way down, but you know, it just, people start going, Hey, if I can get this stuff for free, you know, and they have no loyalty because there's no artist anymore. But when an artist becomes an artist, and people go, you know what, I'm going to support him and I'm going to support what he's doing because mm-hmm. he's got a message and he's trying to do something that has depth and it has meaning. And, it, and, it, and it's going to help not just me, but it's going to help the future. You know, he's not doing it just for just to make some money or just to try to get some, you know, some girls and, you know, whatever. It's just it ain't even about that. It's about actually the power of music. 
what music was originally, um, what music originally was. Because if, you, if you, you go back, and I don't want to get too philosophical, but if you think about the power of music, the beginning, go back to the very beginning, mm-hmm. you know, when people lived in villages, you know, how people found out about what was going on in, in, in the world outside of their village was there were minstrels who actually would sing songs about what happened in this village, and they'd go to another village and say, this village over here does this and does things this way. And they go, oh, wow. And they were like the newscasters, and then they go to another village. And they became, that's how they became powerful, because they were telling stories about what was really going on and how people needed to do different things and raise themselves up and blah, 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 blah. And, I mean, that's the power. That's the origin, the original power that music had. And that power is just now, it's just so when you get American Idol and The Voice and all that other kind of stuff. And that's just, that's a talent show. And yeah, people can sing and that's wonderful. You know, I mean, to be able to, you know, to do all of that kind of vocal gymnastics and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful if that's what you're into. But there's, a, there's a, a whole nother thing that music is all about. And that's power. Power to tell stories. Power to tell things like it is, like, like they are. Mm-hmm. To tell who's doing what. And, and, and make people listen to it because it's in a story in a, in a three, four minute song, but you got to cut right to the chase. You can't you know, meander around, you know, about what it's all about. It's like, look, the American dream, it's alive and well, my brother, you know, alive and living color dream, American dream. Don't you let them try to take it. It's yours and you can make it dream. That's what it's all about, you know, and on, on and on. I mean, different songs on my album, you know, it's all right. That song you said you like is that's my life, you know, in a sardine can. Basically, it's like you know, I mean, you know, it's a it's about a brother who says, you know, I'm a I'm, you know, I'm gonna shine a light, gonna shine, I'm gonna get some sun, gonna rock the world, gonna be the one, you know, gonna make some cash, gonna live it up, gonna mm-hmm. spend it fast. Well, it's all right. Mm-hmm. And then he starts talking about, um, I think at the end, you know, um, well then it's like gotta find a friend because I need a vent. All my money gone, don't know where it went. You know, and then it's like, you know, i uh, got to find a job because I need some cash. Got to save it up. Going to make it last. Well, it's all right. Got to find a girl because I need some sex. Got to make <laughs> some cash for what comes next. I'm going to build it up. I'm going to build it up. I'm going to tear it down. You're going to watch me fall. You're going to watch me drown. You know, I mean. That's the that's, struggle, man. That's, that's the struggle right there. Yeah, that's, that's the struggle. That's the yin and yang of life. But these are the stories that, you know, I mean, I'm telling the story right there that, you know, I'm putting my life on the line and it's like, it doesn't have to be that way for somebody who actually picks up on that. And when you're going through your struggle and you hear that song, you go, wow, you know what? You know, he's saying he's going to build it up. He's going to tear it down. And we've all been there. I mean, I've, you know, I've, you know, had kids, you know, and I've, I, you know, I was always there for my kids, but you know, I didn't understand how to really be a man mm. in a relationship like that. Mm-hmm. You're a husband mm-hmm. and what, you know, sacrifice and all of that was about because nobody told me about that. I mean, my older brother, one of my older brothers was a pimp. So I just completely didn't, I had a completely different way of, of you know, I mean, I grew up where a man was how many women you had, mm-hmm. you know, and it took me a while to understand that that's what a man is, is somebody who's, you know, is committed to a, set, a certain, to, you know, if you say you're going to be committed to a relationship, you're committed. Do it, right. And I didn't understand that. And, you know, obviously I built things up and, you know, and then I tore them down because I didn't understand how it worked. 
you know, until it was too late. So, I mean, that's what all these stories are about. And, I mean, I could go on and on with different songs on the record. And one day, obviously, you know, it was, you know, about being tight with somebody and, you know, and then, you know, and maybe not being so tight with them. And then hoping one day you get together and you become, you can become friends again. So, you know, I mean, it's just story and, you know, and that's what it's all about. Well, man, I want to thank you for coming on and a couple last things. Uh, first of all, uh, Sean and Big Sexy, did you guys have an additional question before we, we wrap it up here? Let me make sure you go. Yeah, I have one, um, Andre. Um, you talked about music and, and influences and the different groups that you like. Is there any current artists that you're hearing now or, or, or groups that, that catch your ear or someone that's, that's in your iPod currently that you like or or an artist that you heard and say, hmm, I could, you know, let me, let me get them in the studio and I can, you know, do such and such with them. Is there anyone like that? Well, you know, I'm not in the mode of, you know, in the producing mode right now, as far as that's concerned, because I'm really, you know, I'm in the artist trying to do my thing mode. Um, but there's, I mean, but there's a lot of artists. There's an artist from, I think, London called James Blake, who, I mean, he's got this song um, called Retrograde that is just, I mean, you should you should check that out. That's 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 one of the tightest songs. And then there's like I mean I like Gary Clark Jr. Um, as far as that's concerned, he's doing some kind of rock. He's kind of like a Chuck Berry kind of thing. You know, um, I like Leanne LaHavas. You know, she's I saw her. Um, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of artists doing a lot of things. There's, you know, I, I like that Arctic Monkey song. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff out. I mean, that I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm, you know, I've always been a fan of music. I mean, that's the thing. I think the quickest way to, to lose touch, you know, is to quit being a fan of music. And the one thing that I've always been, and I probably will always be, is just a fan of music. I love music. I don't, it's not like, I, I'm not one of those kind of people who say, I don't listen to the radio anymore. I listen to the radio all the time. You know, I mean, I listen to, I buy records, I buy new people. I'm always trying to find new artists. You know, I'm trying to discover stuff. Um, there's this group called Tain and Pala that, you know, I mean, they, they're doing some psychedelic stuff. There's just a lot of stuff out that, you know, I mean, you know, as far as that's concerned, you know, and it's just, you know, I'm just one of those kind of people that are all over the map because I just love music. I love funk. I love rock. I love jazz. I love blues. I've gone back and rediscovered, you know, old music from, from back in the day. I just, it's just music. It's just if it speaks to me, I respond. It inspires me. So it's, I'm not one of those kind of, you know, you know, somebody who lives in a, in a box or a bubble. It's just, it's just you know, I, I love music too much to just like one kind of music. I mean, I'm, you know, it depends on what mood I'm in. If I'm in a mood where I just want some funky music, you know, I'll either go back, you know, to some of the funky music from, from where I know, you know, you know, the time stuff came from. You know, and I'll listen to some of that or I'll listen to some, you know, or I'll listen to some time or I'll listen to some, you know, some Jesse Johnson or I'll listen to some, you know, some N.W.A. or I'll listen to some, you know, some uh, some um, I mean, uh, some Chuck D. I mean, I love Chuck D. I mean, you know, fight the powers like that was my jam. Yeah. I mean, you know, and on and on. Slick Rick. I mean, you know, yes, hip, I love hip hop. I was like so into hip hop. Okay. You know, I mean, when hip hop came, you know, people thought I was crazy. Because I was in the hip-hop way before, I mean, DJ Quick. 
I mean, I was into like straight hip hop. I mean, you know, I was trying to turn people on to hip hop back then. And people thought, man, why are you listening? And when I, I tried to make Joey's album, the, the album that I was going to follow up with hers was almost just like what they came out with, um, with, um, what Dallas Austin did for, uh, for, um, TLC. I had hmm. a song, I mean, that I had loops and samples and all kinds of stuff for Jody's follow-up and she thought it was through hip hop, you know, but huh. like I said, you know, I just, I just think that, you know, if you're a fan of music, you keep your ear to the ground, you stay a fan of music, you keep listening to different things because, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're into it, you're into it. And if it speaks to you, it speaks to you. And you, you know, you make music that, um, you know, that, that, you know, you follow your heart. All right. Uh, Big Sexy? Or... I had to step away momentarily, so I apologize. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, first of all, it was cool that you mentioned Circle Star. I've been there a few times when I was a kid to see the Ohio players, so I know exactly what you were talking about. Um, mm -hmm. But working with other artists, you mentioned this name, and I saw it online, and Mike mentioned this name. What was it like... And how did the Tom Jones thing come about? <laughs> you know, that, that's, a, that's a funny question. <laughs> Tom, you know, oddly enough, Tom Jones reached out to me. And I, I, I have no idea why or how, but he reached out to me and said, you know, Andre, listen, I'd love to work with you, man. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Tom Jones? You know, I mean, this is like, you know, I mean, when I was a baby, I remember hearing was it Del not Delilah or something like that? Oh, yeah. And I was like, wow. And I was like, okay, cool. And he invited me to his crib. And I'll, I'll never forget, man, this is one of the funniest things, man, because, again, you know, being from that other side of the railroad tracks, it was like one of those kind of things because he invited me. He had this big mansion in Bel Air, right? And I go in his crib, and he's got, like, literally a, a, a pond or a brook or something in his crib, separating his living room from his kitchen. You had to literally walk over a bridge to get from his living room to his kitchen. And I'm like in the crib and I'm going, I'm like just tripping out because I'm like, man, this is like dope. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> man, this is like this shit. And I'm like, what's that smell? And he's like, whoa, whoa, smell. I said, what is this smell, man, that I keep smelling? And he's like, it stink? I was like, no, 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 no. I said, you know, it's just something I never smelled it before. It's like really, really, and it was driving me crazy. And he was playing me all these songs and telling me, yeah, I want to do something like this. I want to do something like that. But I was obsessing with this smell. And I'm like, I kept going, God, what's, what is that? You know, and I kept looking around at the house and all this stuff. And, you know, and finally I just started laughing. He was like, why are you laughing? I said, I know what the smell is. He said, what? I said, that's the smell of money. <laughs> like, that's the smell of straight up cash, man. <laughs> like, I was looking around and he had such amazing stuff, man. And we actually got to be really good friends. And, uh, you know, because he was, I think he was signed to Interscope. And, you know, they, they wanted to really control what he did or something like that. And so they were, you know, um, I had done, eventually they kind of split us up and they wanted us to go through the whole record label thing. Cause he had contacted me outside of the label. And so then they brought me back into the thing. Cause he was adamant about having me work with him. And, um, and, uh, so, you know, but they didn't let us, I didn't get a chance to work with him the way I wanted to work with him. And then we were doing a thing with the soulmates, which was me, Mick Murphy from the system, uh, Paul Peterson and uh, Gardner Cole, who 
who did Madonna's uh, Open Your Heart, we had put a, put together a group called the Soulmates, hmm. and we had done an album. And you know, and Interscope was interested in signing the group, but then they heard a song that was on there that they must have played to Tom that he loved, which is a song that I had written and uh, the other guy guys wrote as uh, um, some of too. And he wanted to do that song, which is a song called Something for Your Head. And so they wound up, you know, wanting to do that. And so they wanted me to come um, to, they wanted me to produce it, but they wanted me to produce with Teddy Riley, which was weird because, you know, the song was already done. And Tom wanted the song the way the song was, but they wanted Teddy Riley because he had, you know, he was, you know, he was the man at the time. He was a hot producer. And so they wanted to have that whole thing so they could, so it could say produced by Teddy Riley and, you know, whatever else, you know, so we wound up going to, um, going to, uh, uh, Virginia beach, you know, and, um, and then we had to wait around a few days for Teddy to get, you know, to get unbusy so that we could, you know, actually do it together. So I wound up hanging out in Virginia beach for like three days with Tom Jones and, and his son, which was a trip because, you know, we got to hang out and, you know, I got to hear all kinds of Tom Jones stories, man. I mean, it was just really, really cool to understand. I mean, cause this dude is like an icon. It's like Elvis, it's like hanging out with Elvis, only different. I mean, some of the stories he was telling was just, I mean, it was blowing my mind. And, uh, you know, the funniest thing was, you know, it was like, cause Teddy, you know, I mean, that brother runs with a posse. He like, you know, at the time he had a posse of about 10 brothers and bodyguards and the whole thing. So, it was funny because we went into this this restaurant. It was a really uptight, you know, I guess a, just a really swank restaurant somewhere in Virginia Beach. And so we roll in with like literally, I don't even know how many, it was like a ton of people. And, you know, all the people in there were looking at us like, like, who are these? You know, a bunch of black people coming into this <laughs> this, this restaurant. You know, they were like looking at us. And, and so me and Mick were there and we were, we were with Tom and, and, and when we came in and they saw Tom Jones coming in, all of a sudden it just changed. And they were mm. like, oh, my God, that's Tom Jones. And so we sit down and then, I mean, it wasn't long. People like, you know, women were coming up. Do you remember me? I threw my paintings at you. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, it just turned into a really hilarious. And so I was like, by that time, I got to know Tom real good. And so I was like teasing him. And I was telling them, you know, I was, I was saying, yeah, you know, I said, you know, I only, the closest I came was this woman threw a bra at me and, you know, <laughs> and then the, the bra, the, the hook of the bra strap got caught in my fro. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, and it got really, you know, cause I had to literally, and it was crazy cause this actually happened. And, uh, and so we were, we were just having fun, man. It, it was just really, it was cool to get to know him. Cause he, you know, when you get to know people like that, it's just, you know, and you get to know him on, on, you know, that, that sort of, that same level, you get to know the, the person, not the icon or anything like that. And, and he just turned out to be a really, really, you know, humble, you know, cool person. And I mean, we literally laughed. I mean, we just had so much fun. So it was, it was a blessing just to get to know him. All right, right on. All right, uh, Mr. Simone, I want to say, man, thank you for being so forthcoming and honest on this man this was definitely a blessing and last thing if you can do and i you know anybody who knows about these shows that we do yeah we talk about the music and we get into other stuff but i really like to keep it on a real personal level because as we talked about earlier you do what you do you you're excellent at it you are a man we are men you've been through some different things you've seen some avenues and journeys that we haven't 
And so you're able to give us some different insights into different things. Now, you've been in the music business for a while. You've been in entertainment for a while. You, you're a son. You're a father, right? You're a husband. Mm -hmm. Take us out in terms of give some of the younger dudes who have aspirations to be in entertainment or in music. But now that you've been through a lot of different things and you still, like you say, still a student, no doubt. But you've experienced a lot mm -hmm. of different things. You went through, you've been through a situation where you and your man came up. Your man goes on to do some other different things. You go there, you come back together, you know, parents and different things. Give us a little insight on how can we navigate? How can we go through these different struggles that we go through in life and not lose our damn mind? Like, what, <laughs> kept, what kept you sane? And now that you, you know, to me, is, this is the last thing. And I'll, I'll shut up. <clears throat> but the other part, important part is, and I think it's great, because you're a father. I'm one. I know Sean is. And then, you, you know, obviously your dad. What did you, what have you learned and what can you teach and share with us as men so that we can continue to grow and again, keep our head about ourselves and keep that commitment that you talked about earlier that a man would have when he learns to become a man. I know I'm putting a lot on your plate there, but take it however you want to do it. Yeah, no, it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's really simple for me. I mean, for me, it's about, it's about keeping it simple. And, and my religion, my, my religion is God is my conscience. So I let my conscience be my guide. That's, okay. that's first. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, we're all a product of the genius of God. That's, that's second, okay. you know? Um, and then, you know, it's like my philosophy is, is, you know, like the record, uh, the song on the record called Naked. And I had another record, another song called Strip. It's about, you know, taking everything away. You know, imagine yourself just naked on the planet Earth, just the dirt, the sky, no buildings, no cars, no nothing. And then tell yourself what's important. And you'll find out that's the answer. It's, it's people. It's your family. It's this planet. And that's how I was able to stay sane, to be honest, because, I mean, I, you know, I mean, you know, there's so many things that I went through. I mean, it's, it's not been an easy journey by no stretch. It's been crazy. I've had so many things that have been really, really crazy go down. But, you know, through it all, I managed to stay sane, mostly because of that, because of those philosophies. You have to, you have to develop and adapt, you know, some kind of a philosophy that works for you, you know, and that's what worked for me, you know, and, 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 it, and just keeping it simple. I mean, because really, I mean, you know, music business comes and goes, you know, fads, trends and all that kind of stuff come and go. And, you know, I mean, the one thing that I would tell somebody is find your purpose sooner than later. But it doesn't matter whether you find it sooner or later, but find your purpose hmm. and just be that. Try to be the best person you can be. You know, and then eventually, you know, I mean, it'll all come together, you know, because that's that's what it's all about. You know, you got to find who you are, find your purpose, you know, and then find a philosophy that works for you. And everything else will fall into place. I mean, you got to also recognize when you're off your path, when you're off your journey, because you're off your journey when things aren't going right for you. You're on your journey when things are going right, you know, and it's really simple. You know, it's really you know, it's not like. 
it's really rocket science. Cause you, you, if you, again, if you understand, you know, your conscience, you know, you know, when you're doing the right thing or when you're doing the wrong thing, you know, you can't fool anybody else. You can't fool God, you know, if you believe in God. So, you know, you know, you know, right from wrong. You know, you know, if you're taking something that don't belong to you, you know, that ain't right. You know, if you, you know that if you're involved with something that you shouldn't be involved with, you know, that's wrong. You know it. You may try to, you know, convince yourself that it's right. But deep down, you know, because it's your conscience. Your conscience is saying, you know, that's wrong, but you're going to do it anyway. And, I, you know, I mean, I, I, there's so many times when I knew I was doing the wrong thing, but I did it anyway because I wanted to or I was naive and I didn't understand. I knew that, I, you know, it was like there was going to be repercussions, but I somehow or another in my mind justified it by whatever I used to balance it out, you know, and to make it seem right. But at the end of the day, I knew it was wrong. And that's how I developed the fact that, you know what? My conscience always knew. So once I got in line with my conscience and the fact that I knew it was right and wrong, all of a sudden good things happened for me. You know, and anytime I was, I was in sync with my conscience, everything happens for me. Cause it's, you know, God doesn't, you know, put you on this planet to be bad. You're born naked. He gave you everything you need. So, you know, it's like, it's all there. You got to figure it out. And I think I figured it out for me. And it's that I'm born naked. God is my conscience. My conscience is my guide. I know when I'm doing the right thing. I know when I'm doing the wrong thing. Try to do the right thing and things will turn out right. It's just that simple. All right. Thank you for that wisdom, sir. For the people You're looking welcome. for your album uh, and, and information about you and tours, where can they find you online? You know, you can andresimone.com or you can go to andresimone at bandcamp.com and, you know, I mean, it's all there. Um, everything you need to know, the records, you know, what I'm up to, what I'm doing, what I'm about to do, what I'm thinking about doing, you know, um, <laughs> you know, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm going to get involved in in the future. And uh, I really want to get people, you know, on board because I really, I want to create a, a movement, you know, but a people's movement that's for the people, with the people, you know, so that we can all be a part of this thing. Because, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, there's a lot of things going on and, um, and you know, I can't do this stuff by myself and I'm not interested in doing it by myself. And I think that this is where we all come together and we make this world for our kids and for our kids' kids a better place. And if people are interested in that, that's what I'm all about. And I need people to come with me. So go to andresalone.com and let's, let's, let's start this new revolution, you know, because it's going to be a revolution and, and it ain't going to be easy. It's going to be a heavy lift, but this journey is going to be a journey that's going to have to happen. And, you know, and it's only going to happen if people get involved. If people don't get involved, then, you know, what, what's going to happen from not being involved is not going to be a pretty sight. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, you already know. Go to the website. Support this brother. It's a blessing. Keep on. We're waiting for the next record. We're going to hold you to your yeah. word and, and get that funk from you whenever you're ready. We're ready. Okay. Uh, no doubt. Uh, big shout out to uh, Mr. Day Dropping, who I could not find again to get on this interview. But shout out to you, sir. <laughs> shout out to uh, Big Ken as well. And to the brothers that are here with me, Big Sexy and Sack. Thank you, sir. And my pleasure, Andre. Thank you for coming out. Right. And Mr. My pleasure. Sh Mr. Sean Hill, thank you as well. 
Thank you for having me, and uh, thanks again, Andre. All right, You're welcome. And and a shout to uh, Catherine. Is that is that your wife? Yes, it is. Shout out to her. She uh, definitely re- very responsive and, and you know getting back to me, and I really appreciate that. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, you already know what we do. This is podcastjuice.net. This is Michael Dean. Enjoy your day. Peace. <laughs>